Yale's world in sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. Konnichiwa, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Wassalamu alaikum, my brothers. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Que pasa, mi amigos? Mi llamo is Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World of Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Bonjour. Bonsoir. Mademoiselle. Monsieur. Je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things going on today in the world of sports. Before I begin, I just want to always say that I hope that you're doing great. I hope that you're doing fantastic. I hope that you're having those difficult conversations about what's going on in the world today, the society that we're living in in the world today, how we can make it better. And in turn, when you're listening to somebody who isn't trying to improve and giving you some suggestions in terms of what you can do to move this society in a more positive place. Listen, learn, listen, be open, shut up, listen, learn, educate, grow, mature. A lot of good things that can happen from doing that. So, man, a lot of good stuff on the podcast today. Got an interview that I'm going to be doing after this segment. It's an interview with Michael Caratanudo. Does media work in Phoenix, Arizona with some sideline reporting. Does the podcast believe Impact 12 Basketball, the former Oregon State player on my stars. You can listen to it on iTunes and Spotify, anywhere you find podcasts. Had a wonderful conversation with him. Looking forward to sharing it with you. The start of the NBA playoffs are today as I'm recording this. I'm, in fact, I'm watching the Brooklyn Nets and the Toronto Raptors go at it right now. But I'm going to give you my thoughts and opinions about the first round. Does Portland have a chance against the Los Angeles Lakers? What team has a better chance to beat Milwaukee in the East, is it Miami, is it Toronto, not going to be guessing it's going to be the Orlando Magic, I'll get into that, and what series are the most intriguing, I'll take a look at some of the um, games and series that I find quite attractive, so we'll get into that, and also man, UFC 252, Stipe Miocic beats Daniel Cormier to retain the heavyweight championship and go down in history as the greatest heavyweight in MMA mixed martial arts history, who should Miocic fight next? Um, we're talking about maybe Francis Ngannou. We're maybe speaking about Jarzinho Rosenstrike. Maybe there could be a super fight with John Jones. <gasps> Who knows? Who knows? And exactly what is the legend? What is the legacy of Daniel Cormier? He said that this was over, that this is it. It's time and now it's done. So I'll kind of recap that fight, kind of take a look at what's next for Miocic, what's next for Cormier in terms of how he should go down in terms of his legacy. So a lot of things that I want to get into. There's a lot of things that I want to discuss. But we begin the podcast today with some college football news. On Saturday, the FDA approved the coronavirus testing system known as Saliva Direct. It was developed by Yale University in conjunction with the NBA and the Players Association. Basically, during this time that the NBA has been in Orlando and in the bubble, they have been the guinea pigs in terms of this testing to see how see how it works and such. So Saliva Direct is considered a quote-unquote game changer 
in testing because it's cheaper, it's as low as $4 to test, it's faster, the results can come within a couple of hours and be handled by nearly any lab in the country, and it's easier, saliva, not the nasal swab and the uh, current test. People talking about how painful and how uncomfortable and how invasive it is to uh, have that nasal swab, I'm like, no, nah, that ain't happening, that is not happening with me, so either I'm going to be asymptomatic or I'm just going to, I don't know, but I would not in the mood to be getting no damn Somebody putting something up my nose and trying to get it to where it's uncomfortable and this, that, and the other. Nah, man, I don't want nothing. I don't want nothing going up my nose except mucus and boogers. So there you go. So this saliva direct, I guess, is less intrusive and less evasive. So it's good. It's, just, it's expected that the test could begin by the start of the school year or by the uh, end of August. So it could be available for not just the college football players, not just for the NFL players, not just for athletes in general, but when you're deciding for universities and such and other industries, when people are going to be going back to work for real, are they going to be able to afford to have the Saliva Direct test for their company, for their university and such, for the uh, student body and such? So something to remember, something to look forward to, something to kind of keep your eyes open, your ears open. Now, Saliva Direct is not a vaccine. So this is not the end all, everything's going to be fine, let's just go back to being normal. No, saliva direct is not a vaccine, it's not a cure, and it's not an antidote. It's simply a test, so that's it. So, you know, there there is some talk about, well, you know, the Big Ten might have, and the Pac-12 might have made uh, a harsh judgment in terms of canceling the football season because all of a sudden now, a few days after they announced that the season was going to be canceled, not just football, but all uh, fall sports, that the Saliva Direct came out and with the news of how more, much more convenient it is, the fact that maybe the Pac-12 and the Big Ten might have made a, a rush to judgment. Still say no. Still say no. Again, this is nothing more than a test. And it might be cheaper, but then again, it doesn't really go into the reason why they're looking for the athletes to come on back. And again, are we going to be, if it's going to be available to the entire student body, well then yes, you can give it the football players. And maybe I would be a little bit more open to the fact that, you know, maybe possibly that the, uh, I could fall into that argument that possibly the Pac-12 in the Big Ten didn't take enough time to make the decision. But then again, I'm not privy to the conversations. I'm not privy to the information that the commissioners of the Big 12, excuse me, that the uh, Big Ten and the Pac-12 had to make those decisions. And again, as we discussed, and, we, and I discussed this in the interview with Michael Carantanudo that you'll be hearing in the next segment, when we're speaking about the situation in terms of the money that's going to be lost by not having a college football season in some Pac-12 and Big Ten schools. It's not a decision, I think, that was made with the quickness. And I don't think that the commissioners of the two conferences, the two major Power Five conferences that decided to cancel college football, I don't think that was made with the intent of them leaning toward not having football. I think they were, they were trying to have every stone unturned to try and play college football. So I'm even quite sure that the doctors or the scientists or the experts in terms of this virus is concerned, I'm quite sure they took into account that there might be possibly something coming down the road in terms of this saliva direct. But in the end, they decided that it would be best for the student athletes to hold them out for 
college football in the fall season and people start talking about the spring semester in terms of playing football and what does that bring but that's another discussion for another day so I think that uh, even though again saliva direct is something that could be that could ex- expedite some of the uh, tests in terms of you know when you're going to get it back and it's that, this that and the other it's not something that could prevent a student athlete or anybody from contracting the virus so I'm holding off on denigrating. I'm holding off on criticizing the Pac-12 and the Big Ten for not um, for for making the decision that they they made when they made it this past week. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Speaking of quarterbacks, or speaking of players in the Big Ten, Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields is starting a petition requesting that the Big Ten immediately reinstate the 2020 football season. The petition that he had more than 200,000 signatures as of 1045 Eastern Standard Time on Sunday. Now, in the petition, Fields wrote that the players believe the safety protocols have been established and can be maintained to mitigate concerns of exposure to COVID-19. He goes on to say that he believes the players should be able to make decisions about what is best for their health and for their future. The Big Ten is aware of the petition, but has no comment at this time per league uh, spokesman. The Big Ten really shouldn't comment on any of this nonsense. It's nice that Justin Fields wants to go ahead and do this, but um, again, Justin Fields is is nothing more than a student. And I'm sorry, and this is really a good life lesson for the Justin Fields of the world and the other players in the Big Ten who had signed this petition. It's good that you're being proactive. It's good that you're trying to um, make your voices heard. But in the end of the day, you're nothing more than a student. And protests throughout the history and civil unrest and everything have led to uh, changes in terms of for the betterment of uh, student relations and campus relations and university and protocol and those type of things. And if you want to even, you know, micro, uh, macro the uh, reasons for social unrest, you could take a look at the civil rights movement. You could take a look at the Me Too movement. You could take a look at the Black Lives Matter movement. You could take a look at the gay and lesbian movement. You could take a look at the movements all throughout history. Hell, you can take a look at the Civil War. You could take a look at the uh, War for Independence. I mean, we really don't get anywhere in this country without some type of civil unrest, without some type of, of um, protests moving forward. Those in powers normally don't make decisions based on the betterment of others. Most of the time, if you let them be, they're going to be making decisions based on what's best for them. So for Justin Fields to bring attention of the wants and the needs and the desire of his Big Ten brethren who play football and the college football fans in the Big Ten who want to see college football to voice their anger, to voice their frustration, or to somehow... uh, let the Big 12 schools and the universities, uh, the presidents and the commissioner, how upset they are, I, I think is noble. I think it's great. I think it shows excellent leadership skills. I think this is really something if you're Justin Fields, you really, you can't get in a classroom. This is something that you cannot take at the undergraduate level, at the graduate level, going for your master's. This is something you, you don't learn in the classroom. These are life lessons that's better than any class at Ohio State University that you can take, the University of Ohio State, the Ohio State University. But also, it's a good lesson to let them know that even though this movement might be strong in his opinion for players to play college football or for somehow to try to, to move the Big Ten commissioners, to move the university presidents who oppose 
playing college football this season in the Big Ten, to think that Justin Fields can go ahead and somehow change their mind through a movement like this is noble, but ultimately it's not going to work. I mean, this is a situation where, once again, Justin Fields is a student. Justin Fields has some power, but he does not have the major power. And again, and I mentioned this before in my last podcast, when I was saying in terms of athletes getting what they need, athletes going where they need to go, this is a situation where I think playing football, you can make some moves. You can make some strides. You can make some improvements. You can make it better for those coming down the line to play college football, without a doubt. But in terms of this situation, I don't think that playing college football, I don't think that this is a movement. Number one, is it's not long-lasting because the petition is just to play football this season. So this is not something that's going to be, that can be used long-term in terms of what Justin Fields is doing as far as the petition is concerned. But maybe it could be an example to a high school sophomore right now, or maybe a seventh grader in junior high school in Columbus or in Ann Arbor or somewhere in Big Ten country in Happy Valley or or somewhere in Bloomington, Indiana, somewhere where they're they're seeing this movement, where they're seeing what leadership can do, where they're seeing the power of influence of nothing more than a student athlete. What he's doing. And maybe those guys can be enthused. Maybe those guys can be influenced. Maybe those guys can take up the mantle to move in the 2024 season, move in the 2026 season when there's an issue with college football, to use the example, to use the passion, to use the motivation by what Justin Fields is doing right now for their generation of college football players to make their experience in college and being student-athletes and being college football players uh, that much uh, much better than the year 2020, 2021, 2019, the era of college football that's going on right now. So while I think ultimately what Justin Fields is doing is not going to have a real impact on if the Big Ten plays football this season, I love the leadership that he's showing. And let's not forget, Justin Fields is going to be a candidate. Justin Fields is going to be a high first-round draft pick in the NFL. And he's going to be playing the most important position in sports, which is a NFL quarterback. And outside of arm strength and outside of the prototypical size and outside of athleticism and outside of how many times you can bench 225 and how many how fast can you run the 40, all of these combine numbers, how great you are drawing up plays and all those type of things. We're looking also, as far as being a quarterback for a franchise, we're also taking a look at what are your leadership qualities? What can you bring to the table to have men uh, follow you? What type of leader are you? What intangibles do you have? When we take a look at someone like, for instance, Dak Prescott of the Dallas Cowboys, his biggest strength isn't that he's 6'5", 220. His biggest strength isn't that he has a rocket for an arm. That's not the biggest strength of Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott is a top 7 to top 12 quarterback. And even if you take a look at his measurables, if you take a look at his physical skills to play the quarterback position, you would lean more toward quarterback number 12, 13, 14 in terms of the you know rating, ranking the best quarterbacks in the league. 
What makes Dak Prescott have the ability to be a winner and play quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, you know, being surrounded in the storm, being surrounded in the tsunami of the nonsense of, you know, being a Dallas Cowboy and having Ezekiel Elliott on your team, what makes him be able to thrive and survive and be a, you know, top 10 quarterback, top 12 quarterback is his intangibles, is his maturity is his leadership, is the ability to have people follow him wherever he's going. And I think Justin Fields has that same type of moxie. I think Justin Fields has that same type of maturity. I think Justin Fields has the same type of leadership. And so in a year where, in some cases, if the Pac-12 or the Big Ten doesn't play, where Justin Fields can't give the NFL uh, scouts and franchises and coaches and presidents and owners any more tape on his game on his you know game situations and such I think this is a nothing more in terms of what he's doing to try to get the Big Ten to play college football this year to have these petitions signed I think that's going to go a long way in the fact of him being given the keys to the franchise earlier maybe than um, what his physical gifts uh, dictate they should and that's the same thing with Trevor Lawrence. What those two guys are doing shows me that, you know what, in the year 2025, in the year 2026, that the NFL, as far as the quarterback position, at least in two franchises, are going to be in really good hands because no matter how dysfunctional the franchise may be when Trevor Lawrence is going to be drafted, when Justin Fields is going to be drafted, this is not a situation where you're going to have someone of weak-mindedness. You're going to have someone not of of high character and high quality, someone who has a backbone, someone who's not going to let the outside distractions distract him, whether it be from the team, whether it be from the media, whether it be from the owner, whatever dysfunction is surrounding that might be a detriment to other quarterbacks because they don't have they haven't shown the leadership skills. I think in a situation like this, regardless of where Trevor Lawrence, regardless of where Justin Fields goes. I think this is going to be a situation because of what they've shown during this time of crisis in college football, showing their leadership, showing their uh, qualities uh, concerning that. I think those guys are going to be quite doing quite well when they are quarterbacks in the NFL. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad you could be with us. Trevor Lawrence is going to play football as of right now in college. Justin Fields isn't, but Hey, for Justin Fields, he could maybe take it as as a redshirt season. And that doesn't mean that even though he's not playing, that doesn't mean that he doesn't have access to train. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have access to the film room. doesn't mean that he doesn't have access to coaches who can help him break down films and other things. So while playing might be a detriment in some way, there's also a lot of positives that go into that. And if he stays on campus, he has the ability to go to the facilities and work and do some other things so I think for you know Justin Fields I think it's noble for what he's doing I think it shows just again great leader and character and those type of things but at the end of the day his wish his want to play college football this season that's not going to be determined the Big Ten whether they stay the course or they don't stay the course I don't think that's going to be I don't think the petition sign is going to be a reason for them the Big Ten commissioners, the Big Ten schools to change their minds. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us, man. So, so speaking about what's happening with this now, now you got more nonsense coming from the decision to cancel the season when you're speaking about the Big Ten. Like this guy, Kevin Warren, doesn't have enough on his doggone plate. 
Now you've got parents of football players from various Big Ten schools wanting to get their voices heard, right? So some of these parents now want their 15 minutes of fame. Parents now want the cameras to be put in their faces and the microphones to be shoved up their mouths. Let me see. They want answers about why the league pivoted from releasing a schedule August 5th to postponing the entire season August 11th. They want details on the findings from the medical advisory board that helped them inform this, the decision to call the season off. So this past Wednesday, or the, yeah, this past Wednesday, a group of more than 60 parents of Iowa football players sent a letter to Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren asking for an explanation on why the fall football season was postponed. <clears throat> Good Lord, have mercy. My blood sport's starting to boil. They want answers about why the league pivoted from releasing a schedule August 5th to postponing the entire season of all, to uh, postponing the season August 11th. They want details on the findings from the medical advisory board that helped inform the decision to call off fall sports. And the parents also demanded that they meet with Warren and committee members with meaningful and thorough explanations to a group of representatives that include parents, players, and coaches. And they want to be able to ask questions to get direct answers and have a say in the decision-making process to be able to review a full uh, action plan, including protocols and safety measures. And the parents asked for a response from the Big Ten by August 19th. Well, if I'm Kevin Warren, and of course you can't do this before I start, let me explain that he can't do this, but in Wendell's world, not just in sports, but in life, period, if I'm the commissioner of the Big Ten, you motherfuckers better be doggone glad that I ain't the commissioner because they're talking about the parents asked for a response from the beginning, from the uh, Big Ten by August 19th. No, no, no. Let me give you my response by August 17th. In fact, I'm going to do a Zoom meeting. In fact, I'm going to record something. What I'm going to do after reading this bullshit, after reading this nonsense, I'm going to get out my seat. I'm going to pull my pants down. I'm going to expose my Johnson. And I'm going to tell every one of these parents who are demanding that I do something for them to get on their knees and display my skin flute. That's exactly what you can do. Who the hell are you? Who the hell are you to be demanding me, the commissioner of the Big Ten, to explain myself? I did an interview with the Big Ten Network where I talked to Dave Repson, former anchor of ESPN. I gave my reasons why we canceled the season. Period. It's done. I don't need to explain myself anymore. I talked to the doctors, I talked to the medical experts, I took everything into consideration, I made the decision, it was a tough decision, I didn't want to make the decision that I had, I talked it over with the people in charge, I talked it over with the people of importance, and we came up with the decision. Period. End of discussion. Now, if the parents of the Big Ten and the parents of Iowa and Penn State and Michigan and Michigan State and Illinois and Ohio, if you motherfuckers can't get it, that's your goddamn problem. Google it. Google my name and read it that way. Period. I'm done. I'm not taking questions. I'm not taking meetings. No. It's done. And don't sit there and try to dictate. Don't sit there and try to bully me into giving you a response. I gave my response. Period. Over end of discussion. Good Lord have mercy. They asked for a response from the Big Ten. Like like they're somebody. Get the fuck out of towns, man. What, here's what uh, Amanda Babb, she's the stepmom of Ohio State player Kath, uh, Cameron Babb. She's the head of the 
Teen Parents Association. She said that I, she said, quote, I felt like the season was pulled out from under them before they got a chance. They were told by their coaches, we have to follow the safety protocols to have a season, and they did. Then it didn't matter. Babs organization drafted its own letter Saturday and sent it to the Big Ten. So, okay, it seemed like we were told by their coaches, these are the safety protocols to have a season. They did, and it didn't even matter. Well, you know what else? Following those safety protocols did? It didn't have your kids get coronavirus. Or it minimized the chances of your son getting coronavirus. That's also what it did. It's not just about playing football. It's amazing to me. The some of these parents, are you kidding me? Damn, we talk about, we lambast these coaches about, you know, football is everything and, you know, these student athletes really aren't student athletes and these guys are going to school to try to play football or these guys are going to school just to wrestle or these guys are going to school just to run track and field or these guys are going to school just to play baseball or these guys are going to school to play basketball and everything and and, and the education is secondary and the educational system gets bashed, the professors get bashed, the institutions get bashed, the college coaches get bashed, the athletic directors get bashed, everybody gets bashed, but are we forgetting? It's the motherfucking um, parents who send these kids to these universities, who have the same idea that these kids have? How quickly can you get my son into the NBA? How quickly can you get my son into the NFL? How quickly can you make my son an Olympic athlete? How quickly can you get my son to Major League Baseball? I mean, damn. I mean, how quickly can you get my son into the WWE or the UFC? I mean, as far as being wrestling is concerned, I mean, what what are we talking about here? We were told by their coaches we have to follow the safety protocols to have a season. They did, and it didn't matter. No, it did matter. It did matter because guess what? It minimized the risk of your son contracting the virus. That should be the most important thing. Your son is living another day to where he's not he's he's negative. And there's about a hundred and fifty thousand people right now who are dead who would love to say that. There are people right now on ventilators clinging for life who would love to say that. There are these idiots who didn't follow the protocols because they were too arrogant, they were too simple-minded, they were too stubborn to listen to what they needed to do, who are right now battling this virus and and are going through hell. So guess what? Your sons got into great shape. They bonded with their teammates. They had a great time. They grew a little bit. They learned a little bit. They were away from their homes, so they matured a little bit. And they come out of this scot-free in terms of their health is concerned. And they get the opportunity to continue their education. Hell, more importantly, they get to continue their lives. And you guys are up there talking about, well, doggone it, like somehow, some way, they wasted their time. Like what? You know what? Damn. I can't believe these coaches made these guys go through these protocols and it didn't even matter. I can't believe that this guy could have been back in, back in the white ghetto getting into nonsense if it wasn't for these guys. I mean, hell, these guys could have been back on the streets running around doing the wrong thing. Man, I can't believe that. Instead, these guys are here on a lie. Like somehow, some way, these coaches lied to them. You don't think that Jim Harbaugh, you don't think that Ryan Day, you don't think that Lovey Smith... You don't think that these guys want to get out there and play football? You don't think James Franklin wants to get out and play football? You don't think Scott Frost of Nebraska wants to get out and play football? I mean, hell, Scott Frost of Nebraska were speaking about, hell, we'll go somewhere else. We'll say, damn, the Big Ten will go somewhere else and play football. What are we talking about here? Where are our 
priorities here. And man, I don't mean to just, you know, bash on the stepmom of, uh, what's her name again? Amanda, Amanda Babb? What's her name? Amanda Babb. Yeah, I don't mean to just be bashing on her, but that statement about, that really kind of like puzzled me and angered me all at the same time. We have to follow these safety protocols to have a season. They didn't. It didn't even matter. I mean, Amanda, how old are you? How long have you been living in the real world? I mean, how many times in your life have you been told that you're supposed to be doing everything, you did what you did, and bad circumstances still happen to you? How many times at your job have you been told if you do this, that, this, that, and this, that, and the other, you'll get that promotion? You did this, that, this, that, this, that, and the other, and you didn't get the promotion. How many times have you done the right thing, or you were told to do this, and you did that to the T, and you still got laid off, or you were still, uh, um, you, you still didn't get that raise? Welcome to real fucking life. Hey man, on March 10th, my life was swimmingly fantastic. I was making money. I was having a great time going to school in terms of uh, substituting a wonderful class up in Mesquite. I was doing great. I was Ubering, making some money on the side. I was having a great time. Life was fantastic. My bills were getting paid. Man, life was fantastic. I was doing everything to a T. Then three days later, I'm out of a job because of the virus. Three months later, I'm behind on my mortgage because I did everything 2AT protocol-wise in terms of filing for a PUA and filing for unemployment insurance. And here we are, I did that in March. Here we are midway through August. I haven't received a fucking dime. So what am I supposed to be doing? I did everything 2AT. I followed all the measures. I did everything right. Welcome to life. Welcome to the real world. Welcome to being an adult. I mean, I, I don't understand what the big deal is. Again, I, I'm bitching and moaning and complaining and doing everything I can to rectify the situation. But, I mean, you know, when you're months behind on your mortgage, talking about these guys don't have the opportunity to play football because, hey, August 5th, we thought it was going to be one way. This fucking virus is unprecedented. We don't know what's going to be happening. August, August 11th, it's a different tune. What do you want them to do? So if your child got sick and died, was it worth it? No, because you'd be bitching and moaning and complaining about why are we playing in the first place? Why if there was an opportunity, why if there was a chance, any type of chance, that one of the players could get sick, why would we play anyway? That would be the situation. You don't want that situation, right? I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. In that situation. And again, let me... I don't, I don't mean to just say that Amanda Babbitt the only one. I'm not singling her out. Diane Fearsmuth, she's the president of the Penn State Parents Organization. She, she uh, sent a letter signed by more than 80 parents of Nittany Lion players to the Big Ten later that Sunday. She said that, uh, quote, the decision just came too quickly. Well, it's supposed to be quickly. She said the decision came too quick. Sweetheart, it's quickly, L-Y, adverb. I totally believe in medical experts and think we should be listening to them. If the right thing to do medically is not to play, I'm fine with that. But to go from releasing the schedule to the start of practice to stopping the season without explanation, it's just wrong. Diane, have you been paying attention? Diane, do you have the internet? Ma'am, do you have ability to watch a television show ma'am do you have the big 10 network because i'm not anywhere near i'm in las vegas man i'm in the desert 
I mean, you're right at ground zero of what's going on in terms of the community, in terms of the, in terms of the area where the Big Ten is. You didn't hear what was happening. You didn't read what was happening. I did. I, my podcast, I played Kevin Warren's response to why he canceled the Big Ten season. I'm quite sure in Happy Valley, the local shows, you listen to any type of podcast concerning Penn State football, you, you listen to local radio, it doesn't even have to be sports talk. You're, you're not hearing why in between the giving the opinion, the host giving the opinions of whether they think the decision to cancel the season in the Big Ten was correct. In between all that, you didn't comprehend, you didn't hear, you didn't understand exactly what Kevin Warren, the commissioner of the Big Ten, said in that interview. If it's the right thing to do medically, it's, let me see, if the decision, I totally believe in medical experts. Well, so does Kevin Warren. What, do you, you think that Kevin Warren didn't check with this? You don't think Kevin Warren has access to information regarding some of the best scientists and folks who are trying to battle this virus? You don't think that he has the information needed to make the decision? And let's, again, think about this. When we speak about the economic hardship, when we think about the economic destruction, that could, the calamity that could happen to some of these towns in the Big Ten, you don't think that Kevin Warren, the commissioner, wasn't trying to do everything he can to save fall sports? You, you think that he came into this in terms of, well, I really want to cancel, so now I have to convince these guys that we need to cancel. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. This was a difficult decision. This was a hard decision. But I believe... Just my opinion. It's not a fact. It's just an opinion. I believe that he made the right decision. So, again, it sucks. It's terrible. It's horrible. But it's all about player safety. And I also think think it's moving forward. If you're not going to have the season, I think, A, it's very important that these kids, that these uh, athletes stay on scholarship. And, B, that they have access to all the things that they had, and academic and tutoring and uh, uh, the food and all, all those type of things, the training tables and all those type of things. I, I, according to what I was, you know, researching, and in my last podcast, I mentioned Ohio State, you get the opportunity to stay on a scholarship and you have access to all the uh, facilities. Same thing with Illinois, same thing with Penn State, same thing with Minnesota, same thing with uh, uh, Indiana. So it's all about safety. These kids are still going to get the ability to graduate. These guys, if they're freshmen or sophomore or junior, hell, I mean, I'm quite sure that the NCAA, whenever these cowards, you know, take their heads out of their sand after they come out of hibernation, after they come out of being in the witness protection program, after they come up from under the rock that they've been hiding, I'm quite sure there'll be situations where because of this hardship, which is this um, 2020 season where there were conferences that canceled the season that seniors or juniors, you have the ability to play football next year in 2021, even if you are a senior. I mean, God, I'm hoping so for these kids. So their dreams of playing college football, they're not destroyed. They're just on halt. They're just postponed. I, I don't get some of the outrage. My, if I had a son, 
If I had a son who played football my main and, and go into one of these schools, my deal would be, hey, look, if you're good enough to play in the NFL, you'll get the opportunity to play in the NFL. But while you're in school, get that goddamn degree. Get that goddamn degree and meet somebody. So when you're 32, 35, 24, 25, whenever your football days are over, you have something to go back to. If you don't make it in the NFL, if your NFL experience doesn't allow you to come in contact with people in the business world or in the broadcasting world or the real world to make a real connection. If you have to go back and live in that college town, that hopefully you'll have that degree, hopefully through your four or five years being a student athlete there, that you'll have the ability because you did play on the college football team that you have made enough connections, you've made enough avenues for you to have a nine to five. And you can take care of yourself. And you can be in a position where you can get yourself a house and not have to move back with your parents when you're 22 and 23 years old and not know where your next meal is coming from and not know where you're going to be living and not know what you're going to be doing. And maybe you can then start a family. Maybe you can go ahead and get married. Do what you want to do, man. Enjoy your 20s while you're working. Have some fun. Have sex with women. Do all that wonderful stuff that we all did in our 20s. Well, most of us did. God damn it. But that's what I'm talking about. So that's... That should be your focus if I'm dying freeism, freer's move, or I've been from these parents who are writing letters from Iowa to the Big Ten Commissioner, or Ohio State from Columbus or wherever, writing letters to the Big Ten Commissioner. That's what they should be thinking about. Tim, uh, Tim Ford, the father of Illinois tight end Luke Ford, he said, I think the way this was handled was atrocious if they didn't have three-fourths what was it? I think we playing your parents. I think one. Oh well, I didn't get all of it down. But basically, he was saying I think it sucks. Well, I mean, you know, come on, man. But I, I mean, the parents. I'm just gonna tell you to you. If I'm the if I'm the commissioner, hey man, this is the way it is. This is the reason why we did it. I don't want to hear your bitching. I don't want to hear your moaning. I don't want to hear any of that bullshit. Your children are still gonna be on scholarship. If you if you are fearful of the virus on campus you're free to have your child go back home and do some online um online classes everything's open to you the most important thing is that you won't have your son will not be off scholarship that 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 should be the main thing right there if i'm a parent you will not have a bill your child will not have a bill when everything is all said and done and believe me i spent a little bit of time as a collector collecting student loans uh, you don't want to be that person who gets called up you don't want to have me calling you up 15 years down the road talking about, you know, you owe $15,000. Where is it? So there you go. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So so the parents are up there bitching and moaning and complaining. My son is not going to be able to play football. What the fuck, you asshole? So what they're doing next is they're thinking about maybe taking this matter to court. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. So prominent college sports attorney Tim Mars, this is what he told Sports Illustrated. He said, several Big Ten players, parents, asked for help in trying to find a way to play immediately. In response, Mars drew up a two-page document entitled, Action Plan to Mitigate Concerns and Legal Risk of Playing Fall 2020 Football. Right? So what is the what exactly is the action plan to mitigate concerns and legal risks of playing fall uh, playing fall 2020 football exactly what is it what is that well the plan is based on four premises of getting all major stakeholders that's the players the parents conference commissioners university presidents 
athletic directors and head coaches to unite behind a petition to the NCAA to rescind its ban on liability waivers. So basically what's going to be happening is they want the ability for the players to be able to sign a waiver saying, yeah, you know what, if I catch the coronavirus and die, uh, my parents can't sue, can't sue the school, they can't sue the university, they can't school, uh, sue the president, they can't sue anybody, basically. And of course the kids are like, yeah, sounds good to me, Go sign me up, sign me up, sign me up. It is the most shameful, it is the most pathetic, it is the most just horrible, again, it all goes back to players are being treated like product. Guys, you are being treated like cattle. Are you serious? So it's like, fuck it. I'm going to be able to do exactly. I wouldn't give that power to the coaches. I wouldn't give that power to the university. I would not give that power in terms of, fuck it. Once I sign the waiver, I'm good to go. If I catch the coronavirus, not on them. No, heck no. Fuck no. No, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. And as an institution of higher learning, how can any adult even go for this? Man, am my son would my son sign some shit like that? Fuck no. I mean, hell, if I'm going to have my son die of this, I'm going to sue somebody. I mean, isn't that what America's all about, right? You die or something happened to you. It's not my fault. It's not your fault. It's, it's got to be someone else's fault, right? If I burn my tongue drinking a hot cup of coffee, I got to sue the person who, who um... Sold me the coffee, right? Hell, if I'm driving down the road and I get into an accident, I mean, hell, it's got to be the city's fault for making the road not safe enough, right? It's got to be the uh, person in front of me, right? In terms of the reason why I crashed into him. It's got to be something. This is a litigation society that we live in. And this is no different. And speaking of the lowest of the lows, to put the risk of the player in catching a coronavirus, and you can throw me out all the statistics that you want to. Well, 99.7% of the people don't get the coronavirus, and only 0.465 people die from the coronavirus. So what's the big deal? What's the big deal? The big deal is that you might be that one person. Unless it's 99.9999999999, not trying to be Herman Cain, 999 percentage in terms of not being able to get the virus, don't come talk to me. Don't come speak with me. Don't put a waiver in front of me and my child's face talking about sign this so we can not have any responsibility. I'm not interested in having a coach coach my son with no responsibility in terms of his health is concerned. And look, I'm, I'm quite sure that if something like this went down, the college coaches across America, for the most part, but try to do their best to mitigate, minimize the, uh, would mitigate, would mitigate, minimize the situations to where they could contract the virus. They just don't think they could be like, all right, everybody, hug on each other, cough everybody, cough on each other, and breathe on everybody. Let's go. I don't think it's going to be that bad. Mask, mask, get them out of here. I don't think it's. I don't think they would be that reckless and irresponsible or that cowardless or you know amoral. Not like they were trying to be the Demo the Republican primary. Not like they were trying to run for the presidency on a Republican ticket. I don't think anybody would be that cowardly, be that cowardless, be that amoral, would be that big of a piece of shit. But I digress. But I'm just not. I'm just not putting my faith into the systems. I'm not putting my faith into the institution. I'm not putting my faith into a football program which had me sign a waiver saying that. The 
school and the coaches and the athletic program, none of you guys are responsible if something happens to my son. Not not going there. Not going there. So I just think it's I think again, we are losing the we are losing focus again on why we should not be playing college athletics if need be. So that's, that's what I think. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Let me end this segment with this. Um, Oklahoma football coach Lincoln Riley, he announced on Saturday that nine players on the team tested positive for COVID-19. The positive results were from tests conducted Saturday when after the team took some days off of practice. Now, Riley told reporters that 75% of the team remain in Norman during the break and classified the cases as community-based infections. In fact, this is what Riley said concerning the, the issue. You know, we've continued to practice uh, in mass, uh, which I've been, you know, most college football teams right now are not doing, and our team has done it, done it willingly and, and has done a great job. And so I've uh, been, been very pleased with that. Um, we continue to, to screen each and every player and staff member before they come into our facility each and every day, both both temperature and also uh, a form that they have to fill out each and every day. Um, and just a compliance with that around our facility, I think, has given us a lot of confidence in when we have our players here that we can create a, a very, very safe environment. Um, like I said, the, the area that our, our team has got to do a better job on is, is when when we're when we're not here, and we've known forever that 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 was going to be the major concern. Uh, we've been able to track back every one of these positives, and they've all come. They've all been community-based infections. Um, the, when our when our team went home, uh, or when we gave our team time off here uh, the last several days, uh, over seventy-five percent of our team didn't leave Norman, um, and so th- that's going to be the risk, and that's going to be the area where obviously not just our players, but players all over the country are going to have to do a great job um, when they're out of these facilities, because I do think we and a number of other institutions are proving that we can keep them healthy and really mitigate a lot of risk within these facilities. And uh, the key is going to be is when they're not here, how good of a job can we all do? And and it's up to all of us and obviously something uh, for our program and our team uh, that we've got to do a better job of going forward and that we fully expect uh, that we will. So from the audio, I've continued to practice with masks, unlike other elite college football programs. Very nice to throw that in. He's The uh, players are screened every single time. Uh, players, staff members, anybody going into the facility, take their temperatures, filling out a form every day. The area of our team that has to do better is when we're not here. So basically he's saying if they're with us, hey, everything's cool. But when they leave us, that's where they go hog wild. We've known forever that we that uh, that was going to be a major concern. We've been able to track every one of these positives, and they've been community-based infections. Well, whoop de damn do Again, continued meshes sent by the adults of college athletics. Keep the football players safe and healthy so college football can be played, and people can make as much money as possible off the players who aren't getting paid a fucking dime, putting their risk health at risk no matter how much they try to protect them. Now look, me and Michael Caratanudo, wonderful interview, wonderful discussion that I had with them. You'll be hearing in about two minutes. Uh, we were discussing, you know, hey, hey, stop, stop saying this. You know, these guys don't get paid bullshit. Don't be saying that at all. These motherfuckers are getting a two hundred thousand dollar. No, Michael Caratanudo ain't cursing that much, but he's talking about, hey man, you know, these guys are um, getting a two hundred thousand dollar education. 
they're walking out of here debt free. They don't have to be worrying about Nelnet or you know anybody else, Sally Mae or anybody else giving them a call talking about, hey motherfucker, where's my money? They don't have to be worried about their garnishes being waged. They don't have to be worried about their credit scores being low. They don't have to be worried about any of that. They get themselves a free education. They get themselves a stipend. They get themselves the best food. They get themselves fantastic accommodations. They get the opportunity if they're good enough, if, if their game is good enough to bang a lot of beautiful looking women. They get avenues and doors open up for them after... Their athletics are over at the college that many people don't get. So I don't want to hear this nonsense. I don't want to hear this bullshit. I don't want to hear this rigmarole about, oh, yeah, these poor uh, college basketball and football and baseball and scholarship athletes, they're not getting shit. Let me tell you something, man. Do you know how much it costs to go to Ohio State? Do you know how much it costs to go to Michigan? Do you know how much it might cost to go to, let's even go a step further, do you know how much it costs to go to a Georgetown? Do you know how much it costs to go to a Vanderbilt? Do you know how much it costs to go to a Stanford? Do you know how much it costs to go to one of them places, especially if you're going from out of state? Are you going to try to tell me that these guys have the ability to hone their games? You have the ability to strengthen their games. They have the ability to improve their games. They have the ability to start building their brand uh, from these colleges that they go to, these universities that they go to. Fuck you about these poor college athletes. That was the gist of what you'll be hearing in the conversation, in the discussion that I had with my man Michael Caradonudo. But I also said that, yes... Yes, all of those things may be true, but damn, once again, when you have a situation where Zion is worth millions of dollars to the Duke program for the one year that he played, when you have someone like a Trevor Lawrence who's worth millions of dollars to the University of Clemson, then all those things might be nice, but that shit ain't good enough. And while things are changing in terms of their ability to make that money, the fact that they couldn't live off, make money off their likeness, the fact that they couldn't go down and do a commercial for a car dealership, the fact that they couldn't get paid to sign autographs, the fact that they couldn't be paid, and maybe in the summer or sometime, to maybe go to Hollywood and become a big star, or maybe do some things, and maybe branch out and make some money doing other things. Not good, not fair, not right. So it's an interesting conversation, and it all goes back to the yin and the yang of things. Kimra Tenuto's point about, hey, you know, guess what? How many students stepping on the Oklahoma campus are going to be protected like these athletes are in terms of the testing, in terms of going into the facilities, in terms of everything that they have available to them? And my point is, yeah, that might be great, but all of these things are just for the point of these guys making money for others. These guys having the responsibility to play, putting their lives on the line, because since 150,000 people have died from contracting the COVID virus, no matter how small or how minimal the risk may be, they are putting their lives on the line. And oh, by the way, it ain't for free. I mean, it is for free, in fact. Then I think there's a problem there. I think that the, I think that there's some things that need to be, uh, need to be discussed and thought about. So yeah, there we go, man. There we go. And whatever happened to the 14 day quarantine, by the way, did you hear that? I remember, I mean, I'm thinking to myself, damn, sometimes, especially when I'm watching baseball, and I saw what happened to the Miami Marlins, and I saw what happened to the St. Louis Cardinals and everything, I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, then why exactly did the NBA and the NHL postpone their season for so long? 
if we're doing the same thing back in March concerning those two leagues, like we're doing now currently with college football and their plan to move forward and Major League Baseball, wouldn't it be the situation where the NBA just goes on hiatus for a week or two and then just has no fans in the stands and we just go from there? I don't know, man. I'm just thinking out loud. I don't know about that, but it all goes back to, okay, Oklahoma had X number of tests, whether uh, positive tests, whether it was in a facility, whether it was community-based. Shouldn't that then set off the procedure of those guys have to be quarantined from everything for 14 days? They have to see within the time that they contracted the virus, who they were uh, hanging around with, who they were in contact with, and those people need to be quarantined for 14 days. I mean, all the things I thought that we had to go through when this first broke out for real, when I first really started started believing this for real in March, why aren't we doing that now in August? I don't know. Are we better? Or have there been some new something, new information in terms of, well, we don't need to do that anymore because this has been happening, that's been happening? I don't know. I don't know. But <laughs> where are the NCAA? I'll, I'll leave it with this. Where are the NCAA in all this mess? Where is the leadership? Goddamn, can we get some leadership somewhere from the NCAA? Can they be heard anywhere on anything? Say something. Let us know you're still around. Because let me tell you something. If there was a kid who took a sandwich from somebody, oh my goodness, the NCAA would be would be coming in there like a guns a blazing in terms of dishing out the justice and explanations and letting their faces be seen. Now in a tough situation like this, they're nowhere to be found. Disgraceful, ridiculous, but commonplace when it comes to the NCAA. So, you know, that's that's what it's all about. All right, next up, next up, next up, next up, my interview with Michael Caratanudo. We're going to be talking about everything regarding this college football season, talk about the roles of student athletes, the roles that they have, and just basically get on down. It's a good conversation. You'll enjoy it. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Yay, yay, yay. Windows World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Welcome back to the program. Now, for the podcast today, we have my man straight from Phoenix, Arizona, currently in Tucson, Arizona. Though, hope I didn't give too much information away for all the beautiful young ladies who want to come on down. We've been looking for him for the past five years. This man, I tell you, before we start the interview, this man, we went to a uh, seminar together. Um, that's where I met him, in L.A. And uh, this guy, man, you talk about impeccably dressed. I mean, this guy was dressed to impress in terms of the suit, the tie, and everything. Every time this does, guy does a sideline reporting and everything like that, it's all about suit, tie, be professional, and he does a great job working down in Arizona. Michael Caratanudo, welcome to the podcast, man. How you doing? 
Man, it's great to be here. I, I can't pay you for that intro, so I'll, I'll just say thank you for the kind words. And I can't pay you for all the nonsense <laughs> that we had to go through for uh, getting this interview together in terms of my Zoom. So uh, I don't know what you're talking about. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> so all of those curse words you were saying in between. You know, oh, please. Up. I said nothing of the sort. At least I didn't say nothing in the sort out loud. Now, thinking-wise, I was going to town on your ass, but uh, <laughs> basically... So, all right, man, let's get into this because I know you're busy. you got a lot of things to do. Um, college football, we talked about it. The, uh, the cancellation of the Big Ten and the Pac-12 conference. I said that it was the right thing to do, that the pandemic, we don't know anything about the pandemic in terms of what it's going to be doing going down the road with the second wave coming in. You, on the other hand, said that there should have been some type of possibility for the Big Ten and the Pac-12 to uh, have a season this uh, year. I just want to give you the opportunity to explain why you think that the Big Ten and Pac-12 were, I don't know, I don't want to use the word mistake, made the mistake, but why do you think they should have had the season this year? Well, if it works, the ACC, the Big 12, and the SEC, I mean, they're going to have theirs, but it also just broke about, I don't know, 45 minutes ago, 30 minutes ago, Justin Fields drafted a letter with help from uh, another, I guess, uh, teammate's parent who's a lawyer, not in suing, but in going, wanting the Big Ten commissioner to reinstate the Big Ten football season. And the gist of the letter is that, yes, they want to play. A, B, if players choose to opt out, which is totally fine, there's no consequence for eligibility. So if they were, say, a sophomore, say they were a true sophomore, they would still have, or even if they redshirted, but they would still have, they wouldn't lose any eligibility over the years. So it's kind of like, you know, the best of both worlds. If you want to play, you can. Um, But the thing is, with Justin Fields' letter, in which I was seeing as the news was breaking, and trying to read read some of it up real quick, because literally it just came out, the letter came out this morning, um, is that, it didn't just come from the Big Ten commissioners, the school presidents. So they would all have to pretty much change their mind. Now, when it comes from somebody from Ohio State, Wendell, the crazy thing is, I mean, outside of, I think, the University of Texas, that is the second biggest money-making school in Division One. And, yeah, you can say football's a big part of that, but just in general, like Texas and Ohio State, <clears throat> money-wise – And their players did everything. I mean, they were testing. They were getting everything done. They were taking the safety precautions. So their Justin Fields has thought of that. So, I mean, yeah, it's getting – it's starting to get more push. I mean, as the day goes on, obviously, NBA playoffs will start tomorrow. Stanley Cup playoffs are on today. But, like, you look at – in baseball as well. But you look at Justin Fields and getting it out there, wanting to play. Again, I think they should be able to opt out and have no effect on eligibility. I'm all for that. Um, it's, uh, you know, I, I'm with you. I don't know if mistake. I mean, when they say it's about the public safety and then all the new the medical information that's coming out, you know, people can say by the hour. But if you just go by the week, I mean, if you take it one week at a time since this started uh, here in the U.S., but even, you know, overseas when it started, it's one of those things where, if you look at the information by the week, what they're learning, what these doctors have been, you know, sitting on meetings like this and finding out about the disease and, you know, people that have had it, they're, you know, putting them in trials and, um, you know, seeing what they can do. I, I get 
the long-term effects and the short-term effects, as long as they're doing this, Wendell, and it's not about money, because, <laughs> and again, it's always about following the money, yes. But no, but here's the thing, because I know the, the We Are United, they put out demands. And you know what? If, if guys don't go pro, I, again, they sell their likeness. And, I mean, I, they sell their likeness and the jersey numbers. Granted, they don't have the names on them, but still. If you you could definitely put a fund and money aside for if for guys that don't go pro because you don't you shouldn't get to double dip if you do go pro and you you know have a career that medical wise and insurance wise like they have the money to take care of it so again I'm not as long as it's just not about oh well they're going to want the money in this there's not going to be any fans in the stands people people understand that which sucks for college football fans yeah. you know. NBA fans, NHL, we've seen it all, Wendell. So, I mean, it sucks for everybody in that aspect. But would you rather – I've said this a million times. Would you rather at least get to see sports or wait till we can all go to see sports because people would be going absolutely even more insane, even if they're just a casual sports fan. But to relate it to this, I mean, is it a mistake? I don't know. If the Big 12 and, like I said, and the ACC and the SEC pull it off and – there's not positive tests. I mean, I saw Manny Diaz, the Miami head coach, speaking on uh, SportsCenter Friday, mm-hmm. just saying that you know their their university president. I mean, is a doctor, not just a not just an academic doctor, but they're going by that. They've you know preached responsibility to their students, and he says you know it, you know can't school starting and you know spacing and stuff like that. They're working on, but. They've worked out. I shouldn't say working on, but it's one of those things where I get frustrated. Where it can work because, like, I would love to come out to Vegas and hang out with you. Like people, like, oh, they need to be around their friends. Like, okay, with stuff like you know Zoom. Well, not that they're gonna have a meeting, but like FaceTime and stuff like that. Yeah. You can they can still talk and have them only text ninety percent of the time anyway. Yeah. But you don't have to be around your friends. Like it's in the middle of this with no true real treatment and a vaccination that you know is hopefully going to be here when the calendar turns. But if the, if the three conferences pull it off, I mean, again, you can say it's in the best interest of the, of the student athletes. And it is, and you a lot of times have to protect people from themselves. But again, if three other conferences pull it off, Wendell, it's uh, (laughs) again, I mean, you can, you not saying that they didn't have their hearts in the right places, but you hindsight, which is always easy to see, you would have made the wrong decision. Well, damn if you do, damn if you don't. Right. We're talking right. to um, uh, Michael Carantanudo, AZ Preps 365 sideline reporter. He also does a fantastic believe on college basketball, Pac-12 college basketball. You can check that out on any of the uh, platforms that you listen to your podcast. It's a great show. Him with uh, your, oh, my goodness, Oregon State uh, former player. What was his name? Amon Stars. Amon Stars, yeah. yeah. They do a great job. The past couple of days they broke down uh, – what's going to be happening as far as the um, COVID affecting the college basketball season, the Pac-12. So you can check that out. He does a fantastic job with them. But, you know, Michael, I, I, I just say this, you know, in a situation where these guys aren't getting paid, these guys are quote unquote student athletes, it comes down to money because in a, I made the uh, point on my last podcast that, you know what, we see college station, we see these towns and these communities and these football towns that need the money in terms of the college athletics, in particular college football, to uh, survive for a lot of times. You mentioned, I think you said Ohio State. Ohio State, I think, generates $400 million per year for the football season. We're talking about over 3,000 employees 
uh, people who have jobs because of that. So man, I, I get it. I, I understand that the economic uh, destruction for some of these towns if they don't have college football. And we're not even talking about some of the smaller schools who rely on getting beat 54 to nothing by the Power 5 schools to sometimes maintain their athletic department. So I, I get it, and I understand it. But doggone, man, and I made this point, should we really be, be placing that type of responsibility on 18 to 22-year-old kids who, A, aren't getting paid, B, aren't getting paid and still have to go through the same crap that the pros go through as far as the scrutiny and everything else that they go through. And just see, you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. Because the worst-case scenario, Michael, is this. Someone gets COVID-19, they either die or they become violently ill. Right? And either the ACC, SEC, uh, Big 12, and the other schools, conferences who are going to be playing football this fall. And everybody's like, what, what are you doing? I should have told you, especially if we're speaking about the state that has a hotspot where the tests are growing. Like if someone from Georgia, for instance, God forbid, gets sick or dies, who plays on the football team, and we see the rate of the COVID-19 in the area, you know people are going to be sitting there talking about how irresponsible and horrible, what a bad looking in for college football. But then on the other hand, if this is somehow pulled off, and I'll see how, but if it's pulled off, then you're going to be saying to the uh, Big Ten and the Pac-12, especially the Big Ten, where you have places like Ohio and Michigan and places who sometimes might go toward uh, uh, conservative more than uh, progressive, they're going to be the ones who are going to be sitting there talking about, I cannot believe you put our town and our area in financial despair by being overly cautious. So it's... I don't well, know, right. Well, these, to that point, yeah, these towns are, again, unfortunately, in a little bit of pseudo-financial despair. So, yeah, that's one thing. Okay, to attack what you said shortly, I am, again, okay, I've never been, when because, okay, everybody says the phrase college athletes getting paid. And I'm not pigeonholing you. I'm pigeonholing a lot of people. They're just talking about football and basketball. Here's the problem with that. I don't believe they should be paid because if you don't, want to take advantage of a $200,000 education, that's payment. I'm sorry. Not leaving college with debt, Wendell. I know I did, and I'm not complaining. I'm not taking it out on athletes. They performed to a level they worked hard. But guess what? If you don't want to go to Notre Dame or Stanford or, you know, at a, even out of state coming to ASU or, you know, if you go Ivy League, or but you look at these schools, USC, I mean, even if you live in California, it's a private school. There's no in-state tuition at USC. So if you don't take advantage of a $200,000 education and don't see how that's not payment, not leaving college with, you know, I'm not saying that they wouldn't have gotten some maybe academic scholarships, but say you leave college with, let's say $100,000 worth of debt. Well, they're up $100,000 when they walk out the door. and it's one of those things where it's not just football and basketball. And I know you know this because you're, you know it, but it's title nine window. So if they say they're going to pay athletes, it has to be the same for everybody across the board. And to me, the problem I think people have with paying is the entitlement thing. Okay. They worked hard at a sport and, and, you know, having cousins that have been through medical school, not that they have, but what if somebody from your undergrad and then medical school happens to literally come up with something that stops all heart disease, right. like cures heart disease. So should they get, they should get all their money back because they've actually done something that benefits every single 
person, and I'm not ripping on athletes. When people hear me say this, they stop hearing what I'm saying. What you just it's, say? I stopped hearing you when you were yeah, talking right. about athletes. Exactly. <laughs> it becomes it becomes Title Nine, and you can't. You have to pay everybody equally across the board. And if they're going to get paid, then cool. Then they're going to start paying tuition. You don't just get and 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 entitled everything. I'm sorry. If, now, if you have the grades and you earned an academic scholarship too, because people, I love when people say, "Oh, what's the difference? Somebody worked at, earned an academic scholarship." Well, I don't know. Let's see. They they probably got straight A's all through high school. Yeah. Um, they worked hard at that. They took advanced placement classes, and if it's a weighted GPA, it'll be above a 4.0. But you know what I'm saying. So, uh, but I'm not against, you know. Raising, raising stipends across the board for all athletes. The money is there. And we know it is when, you know, you look at the NCAA trophies, it's billion dollar, you know, March Madness and just what the NCAA, again, what schools make, but still what the NCAA makes during football. I'm 100% with you. You want to up the stipends. You want to make sure that they have insurance for, you know, three, say, say you go four years after they graduate, any, you know, issues that they might have they can dip into that insurance fund. I am all for that. I'm not paying somebody that's getting, and then on top of that, you get a $200,000 education to get to leave without debt because somebody that's the academic, and yes, I get the argument. When's, it's like that line in the program from back in the day. When's the last time, you know, 75,000 people showed up to watch a chemistry uh, experiment? I get that, but guess what? If you go for the amount of people that are on a college campus that are not playing sports, that percentage is a lot bigger, Wendell, and we know yeah. that. I, I, that I, be, I, I but that being though, said, I, it comes back – no, but I was going to say real quick. That being said, it comes back to the health, and it's follow the money. And to wrap up Title IX, there would be so many lawsuits once you start paying. If you pay, and there's thing, it's got to be equal across the board. Right. I mean, and if it wasn't, there would be some lawyer that's like, oh, I'll have a field day with this in Title IX. They wouldn't see money for 10 to 15 years because you and I know once it gets locked up in the legal system, good luck. So you want to up stipends. You want to make sure that, fine, that's because, yeah, they can't work with their schedule. I get that. But the last thing I will say, I get tired of hearing complaints too. It's like, oh, well, you know, they don't get to go to these places or this place. I'm sorry. When I was in college, um, I didn't go stay at five-star hotels. Like we went to different places, but we figured it out. It wasn't flying. It was road trips, as you know, when you're in college and those are great. It's good bonding time. It's fun. But I, I just get so tired of, you know, people saying, Oh, you're hating on app. No, I, I know what they bring to the school and there should be stuff set up for insurance, like health wise afterwards. Cause like I said, a lot don't go pro. They should be able to dip into that for at least four years after they graduate. And, you know, if you want to say five set, whatever they want to get, I'm all for it, but I'm not paying them a cent. Because if you pay them a cent, start paying tuition and see what that's like to leave college with debt. Believe me, <clears throat> I know. And every time I see a one eight hundred number, collector, I know at the bottom. You are not the only one. Yeah, I believe me, I know, I know. By the way, Michael, if you uh, fail, the difference between though, <clears throat> between uh, you know, you and someone flying in a you know, Lear Jet, not Lear Jet, but, you know, staying at five-star hotels and everything. You know, your, your family and you are getting death threats if you fail an English exam. Just like, a, it, say, for instance, if a kicker for Alabama misses a field goal for a chance for them to win a national championship. But my, my, my key for this has always been, look, if you're going to pay them, make them employees, which means they have to sign the W, you know, do the whole deal as if you were uh, – Well, right. Oh, yeah, it wouldn't be, like, tax-free money. No, I get yeah, that, I mean, but yeah. I'm just saying, like, yeah. I just think that – 
it 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 almost it causes more people bitterness that have stuff against sports saying okay well what about the kid yeah okay they earned an academic scholarship and you know they at least have to keep up a you know a, a three over a three five or a three seven three eight whatever their scholarship is but like the person that again maybe wasn't great at sports played for recreation but worked hard in the classroom okay well people are like well their theirs gets paid for well they earn that academic scholarship so people can say well they earn an athletics fine then they don't pay for food they don't pay i mean they want to go out yes they there's money but within their scholarship like i said the stipend it's all there so you can present both sides but no i mean and it's not because people like oh you know like you said earlier progressive like that's such just an old school way to think and a stubborn way to think no, because the last I checked, every single athlete I've ever heard, you know, that his career ended short or that had an issue, you know, for some reason, injuries piled up. They said, man, you know, I, I, I was so glad I had my degree to fall back on. Yes. They, and they've all said, yeah, it helped that I played. But if I wasn't qualified, you know, that only would have got me so far. People would have been like, yeah, you know, he can't, he or she can't do this job. Like, my degree, like what I went to school for, that was all paid for. So they're literally ahead the second they walk out. And if, uh, unfortunately, if the, if they're, um, like I said, pro career doesn't work out. It's one of those things I, I see all sides, but I, when people say, Oh, you know, that they have to eat this or they have to eat that, man, you go into some of the facilities for these, uh, I'm not just saying football, but just in general and then their food plan. And it's like, they have nutritionists and everything. And it's like, and God forbid, and again, it should be paid for. Like if they need surgery, that's all taken care of. Like, and it should be, it, it totally should be. But I, again, it's just, it's the whole, I think, entitlement. Like, oh, well, we're giving him, we're making this. And like you said, the employees just at Ohio State, Texas, all these, the game day employees, everything, the jobs it creates. Like, yeah, they're bringing in money, but it's like, what do you think that all this money is paying for? It's not like, oh, every single cent is oh well they're getting every single cent i mean you're they're paying for obviously like you know employees and everything like that so again it's it is an interesting conversation but when, and then it relates all back to covid like we said because it all ties in if they were saying oh well now is a perfect time to pay us again i'll never <laughs> i'll never agree to it because and you know football's different than basketball as you and i know with the one and dones it's like how much class did these guys really go to yeah. Um, which that's why I always thought it was stupid. I, I say at least, I mean, the one and done, not that it's stupid for them to go, if they're good enough to go to the NBA, go. But the, I mean, one and done to literally say, oh, they have to go. And some guys were, you know, now the G League is even before the pandemic hit, it was starting. And it's like, you know, you can come out of high school and go straight to the G League. Um, yeah, you might get drafted. You, you know, you go to the G League and you can be up on an NBA team and some guys might get like, you know, decent money from that good for them i'm all for different avenues yeah but when it comes to college like no and especially like you're saying if you pay them so with the one and duns somebody's hardly going hardly going to class to get paid for that no absolutely not <laughs> mr academia here michael caratonito uh wendell's world is sports i'm your host wendell no i see both sides and i've always said that hey man everybody talks about a degree let me tell you something man if you play four years for the university of alabama or lsu or ohio state in michigan and after you graduate, you want to uh, set residence in Tuscaloosa or Montgomery, Alabama or, or um, New Orleans or Baton Rouge or anywhere in Ohio. 
you go for a job interview and you have as a reference Urban Meyer, Dick Saban, Ed Orgeron. Not even as a reference. Not even as a reference. Just on your resume, like Ohio State are going to be like you're. You're going to get pushed to the front of line, and good for them. Like, hey, fine. Exactly. Fine. You don't even need if, if you if you're going for a sales associate job or something like that, you won't even need a degree. All you need to do is walk in somewhere and then show them their two rings and tell a couple of stories about Nick Saban and playing with um, Tua Tunga Bailoa and how great it was to win the championship against Georgia, and that guy's gonna hire you. And not only that, the cachet of being this an athlete who played for that coach in that program in that area. I take sales because I have a lot of sales background. You go into a place of business, you go into a sports bar trying to sell something or trying to sell some advertising or whatever, and you go up to that general manager or you go up to that guy and introduce yourself and you talk about you know, what you can do or what the company can do for them, and then they start talking about, or you start talking about the good old days of playing college football at LSU and Baton Rouge or, uh, or um, you know, Michigan at Ann Arbor. I mean, outside of being a beautiful, voluptuous white woman walking in looking to, uh, you know, sell some time. That's the best thing that you can do. Ain't nobody going to be listening to me selling anything, my, my fat ass. But if I come walking in there and I'm talking about, yeah, you know what, in Columbia, South Carolina, yeah, you know what, I played for Dabo Swinney. You saw me on television. I was a running back, offensive, offensive defensive lineman. But, uh, you know, something like that, that is a huge advantage. So I, I, I get I get the argument where – you know, it's like for the, right, but yourself, John right. Thompson, who've always said that, you know what, Barry uh, Switzer said the same thing. These guys on a scholarship coming out of college debt-free is, is good enough. I, I get that. But I, I also just think that the amount of money that these guys make for these universities and the um, responsibility that they have, which all, once again, ties back to the reason why I think, the main reason why I think these conferences that are going to ahead, go ahead and play try to play football this year and spend all this money with the testing. I don't even know financially even they can do it in terms of the amount of money it's going to cost. Right. Well, that was the thing too about Ohio state. That was the thing about Ohio state. They're saying they can, but can other campuses We already saw, obviously a lot of mid majors cancel football. And then, um, you know, they said division two, division three, like they don't just don't have the money to test in this and that, and that's fine. I mean, again, it, it, it is tough. Now, I disagree with you. If you were selling something, people would listen to you. So don't don't listen to them that on people. I don't, I'm, I don't, I'm not that sharp dresser like but, you are, man. But it's not even that, too. Oh, please. You're saying, you're saying go get, you know, for them to go get jobs or if they're applying for them. I mean, yeah, if they, if they you know, say they played four years, they were there for five, if they redshirted. But just think of even if they start doing something locally, like the endorsements in general, companies will want them. It's like, oh, Ohio State, great, you know, whatever is right there. It's one of those things where, you know, you're like you're saying, Texas or wherever you are in the country, USC, like yeah. there's endorsement opportunities for things too. So people can be like, oh, we want you to be, you know, if you believe in something, see, oh, the face of this. Like, yeah, they're cleaning up. But again, it comes back, when you say it comes back to testing, I mean, you're 100% right. I mean, yes, they need to run tests. Yes, they need to be in a bubble. I mean, I know this Thursday, ASU starts camp at like on campus classes. So, I mean, and I, I get, I, and from what I understand, I mean, they want their, their, if students, when students are walking to class, like to wear masks, obviously on the way to class, I don't know if they have to wear them in them. I'd have to look that up, but still, I mean, again, 
it's wanting to get back to some sense of normalcy, which I'm all for, but at the same time, like, is it safe? And again, without real treatment or vaccination, I mean, yeah, there's stuff that works and, you know, to your point, yeah, like God forbid somebody did get it, you know, a player and died. I mean, the, one of the things too is, I mean, the younger you are, not that you can't, but the younger you are, the, the higher chance of recovery as we've seen, that's one thing we've seen, but, Man, I'm with you. It's it's one of those things where if they don't have the tests and yeah, you know, now they're spending the money on these tests. And um, like I said, Ohio State damage, players. Think, how much damage do you think college football, how long do you think it would be able to repair itself? Say, God forbid, if someone like a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields, someone of that caliber, God forbid, suffered greatly because of the virus. Now, Justin Fields isn't playing so let's say Trevor Lawrence or the poster child. Trevor Lawrence is one of the more um, no, but Justin Fields is the one that sent the last couple right, of years. Right, right, right. But yeah. Justin Fields is the one that sent that letter. Yeah, wanting to play. So I mean, I mean, well, if they is, again, how, how, big of a, how big of an impact would college football have to? How much would they have to overcome? Say, for instance, if something gravely happened to uh, Trevor Lawrence, ruin his uh, NFL career. How how much how how much damage? What did it do to college football? Well, I mean, the short answer is a lot in a way. But when you say Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, when guys have been outspoken about playing and about it being safer if they're on campus and if they're in football, like the facility, like in a more controlled um, environment for them because of the, yeah, 20 hours a week is all that they can practice. But at the same time, it's one of those things where they're still at the facility, whether they're getting treatment, they're still looking at film, they can be there. So it's, you know, it, it would be, it would be damaging. But if, again, if it's a player that was saying, Hey, you know, I wanted to do this and I was responsible and for, you know, some reason I got it and this happened, I'm sure he would say like, you know, Oh, I'm not sure he would say, but my, my, my guess is if it was me that said that I would, um, I would, um, Say, hey, you know, I'm addressing people. I would say, I chose to do this. And, okay, it ended up being a mistake. But inevitably, I'm not taking away my chance, my right to choose it. And, you know, we did everything right. There were tests. And for some reason, I mean, again, if it came to that, it would be very morbid. It would be damaging. And people, of course, there would be, you know, the jerks that would say, and I do say jerks in a way, Wendell, because, oh, I told you so. I'd like, they have to be right about everything when, you know, Say, say it happens to like one player, but say, you know, I mean, Clemson already had what, like 30 players test when they tried to get back together in June and they stopped the summer workouts. And, you know, but again, to me, it's about responsibility. Yes. You, you don't know who they were around, but they were back on campus. Once you start to see, it's like, okay, we need to stay away. If things have to be, you know, FaceTime and stuff like that, like I was saying. So, yeah, I mean, of course it could be damaging, but for somebody that's like, you know, on the top of the mountain, pounding the drum, Wendell saying, you know, Hey, we want to play and we, we should make a choice. And we understand, like, it's not like they are saying they just want to play and they're not listening to medical experts. They've had all these guidelines already given to them and Ohio state followed it. And so I could see from that standpoint, you know, you're there. I know ASU is the same way. I mean, these guys want to play. So, I mean, yeah, again, we can, you can you can bring up all the safety points and the and the, the health points I should say health and safety, and everybody's got a right point, Wendell. It's not about right and wrong, but 
I'm, you know, and Justin Fields, you know, saying, hey, we should have the option. If guys want to opt out, no hard feelings. They can still come to the facility. Um, if they, you know, they can work out, they can get everything. It's not going to affect their eligibility. They can, you know, they'll be in school. Yep. And, and that's that. So, I mean, I, I just, I see both sides. I can say I understand it. Disappointed, yeah. Um, I'm not going to say it was a mistake. Even, even, and I hope they do, you know, the, the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12 pull it off. Even if they pull it off, I'm not going to sit there and say they made a mistake because you, you made a great point. The hot spots. Well, yeah, Florida's a total hot spot. Arizona, I mean, the positive tests have gone out. There's a lot of annoying people here that can't wear masks. And then, you you know, get somebody put some fake. Well, masks aren't doing anything. Yeah. Really? Really? Because <laughs> if I sneeze. If That's God, like, if how, I, how it is. How, how, how if is I, doing? If I sneeze, if I sneeze behind a mask and I sneeze and I, and I always cover because I just never understood people that like could cough and just like openly cough towards everybody else. Um, but yeah, if I sneeze in my mask, okay. I sneeze in my mask. Like, Oh, icky, I gotta, you know, whatever. But if I don't, I mean, uh, it's a ridiculousness like that, but the, the, I told you so people, um, who a lot of them are probably helping, you know, numbers go up because they refuse to I'm not saying they're not washing their hands and they're being you know unsanitary I'm just saying like freedom taken away from them exactly but you know people you can walk around with a mask it's not that hard like I mean inevitably it's it's one of those things so from the player standpoint I get it from the other you know from the one side the saying hey you know with the hard things and you know they're thinking a line like you said I mean you know you say bigger guys but linemen too I mean the the effects it can have obviously on the respiratory system. I mean, those have come to, you know, come to the, you know, forefront and it is important, but yeah, I mean, it's tough, man, because again, will people look at it and say it's a mistake if the other three go off fine or, you know, there's a few positive tests, but guys get quarantined and like, okay, Hey, this is where you have to be. You're not going to class. And Trevor Lawrence, I think Trevor Lawrence said it too. It's like, you know, we had to do it, finish everything online last year. So if you just make it online for athletes, you know, if you want to interject campus and yeah, it's something they don't want to be on campus, but make it online. So they have their practice they're at the facility. They're in their rooms. They they're controlling the environment. Then that's fine. Make it all online and play and play a season. But you know, I, I applaud the conferences for trying as long as you're hooking up with medical experts, Wendell. Cool. It's a good thing. You know what, man? There's no right or wrong answer to this. I say that they shouldn't. You say that they should. I'm not right. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. It's, you know, it's, I get it. And, you know, as much as I sit here and bitch and moan and whine and complain about them having, you know, having the season, believe me, I'm going to be watching SEC football. I'm going to be watching Big 12 football. I'm going to be watching football, college football in the spring. So, or excuse me, in the, um, in the uh, fall on Saturday. So if you want to call me a hypocrite, that's cool. I'll take that. I'll take that because it's true. I can't bitch and moan about these guys playing football. Then you know where I'm going to be all day. I was about to say that first Saturday, (laughs) that first Saturday where college football is supposed to be played, we're going to be looking at the TV like, uh, I'm not going anywhere. anywhere. Now I will say in my defense, I will say in my defense, if the other three conferences say no go with college football, I'll applaud them and say it's the right decision, and I'll have to get through it. But believe me, if it's going to be on television, these folks aren't murdering nobody, not yet, at least intentionally. And these folks aren't, you know, they're not R. Kelly and anybody. So it's like I have, I'll have, well, that, I'll, be, yeah, I'll watch with one hand no, over but, my eye, but, you know, I'll be watching. No, but, right, but that's what I said. That's the thing. Like, you can't, you know, the first Saturday college football is supposed to be on. 
if it wasn't on, everybody'd be like, awesome, you know, great. Like, you know, when sports first got shut down and it was like, oh, wow, there's really nothing like to watch. And it's like, okay, well, it's obviously this is huge and we'll go from here. But no, I mean, I'm with you. It's, it's, there, there can be a lot of right, different ways to get to a right answer. And, you know, just because somebody does something wrong doesn't mean somebody else is something wrong isn't as bad too. My grandpa used to say it all the time. It took me a few years to understand that. But basically in, in one instance, two people can be completely wrong and two people could be completely right, like you're saying. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. But like I said, obviously you wish them the best. You wish them, you know, health and, you know, success. And if it does get pulled off, you know, people outside will be like, see, we told you so. But again, if they weren't in hot spots and, you know, the traveling, so we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, they have, they, they definitely have some obstacles to, uh, to overcome, yeah. but hey, we'll see what they can do. Well, all I need to tell you is I'm right. You're wrong. No, uh, <laughs> no, I'm just joking. When um, you come back from, from never, never, never land, Peter Pan, let me know. <laughs> gotcha. I'll, I'll, I'll tell Michael you said hello. Uh, oh. <laughs> but the real Michael, Michael Caratanudo, thank you very much, man, for being on the uh, Wendell's World of Sports. Good talk. It was a great discussion. I hope I can have you back a little bit later on, you know, uh, discuss some, I guess, I don't know, man, but the Phoenix Sun season is over, but Devin Booker, emerging star, great run with them. Um, I want to um, say my condolences to the Arizona State basketball team for not getting Jalen Billingsley, who decided to make the right move, the correct move, and join uh, America's coach Patrick Ewing and the great Georgetown Hoyas. It was a came down between those two, so I'm glad the young man actually had some common sense to make the right decision. Let's hope That's fine. Holmgren and Patrick Baldwin Jr. do the same thing. Um, it happened. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's okay. Josh Christopher, a top recruit in California, uh, is is coming here, and Remy Martin's coming back. So I mean, you know, good luck to Georgetown. If we if we see him in the tournament, we'll see what happens there. It's coming, my friend. Maybe not this year, but in the next couple of years, we got Jordan Riley coming in. We got a strong twenty twenty one class. Patrick Ewing, America's coach, 15 years and an assistant in the NBA. America's you kids out there who five star recruits, I mean, Bob Hurley, how long uh, did he last with Sacramento? Please give me a okay. break. He first just fell in a, in a scrimmage in 92, and all of a sudden, okay. he becomes a first round pick. Here we go. Here well, we go. One of the Here greatest we, whoa, whoa, whoa. players of all time in college and go to okay. a city like Washington, D.C. Are you kidding me? <laughs> See, you were credible up until that rant. You were very credible. Now, I love Patrick Ewing. But, I mean, come on. Bobby Hurley as a college guard, what he did at Duke, uh, top three college guards of all – top five college guards of all time. All things and Thomas he can coach. He can coach. Yeah, I mean, he can right. coach. He just um, needs to control his temper, man. I saw that outburst he had a few years ago against Arizona. But he ain't right. He well, coach, he does. He does. I, it does drive some people crazy. But he's got his players' backs, and there's no problem chatting with the refs. It's not just – talking to the refs the whole time. I mean, he gets his team fired up, and those guys those guys play for him. So, uh, an awesome class he has coming in. Yeah. He'll lose out on a few, but, you know, I'm sure he'll take a few from Georgetown and just to, you know, remind everybody. Hey, man. It's, a, it's, a lot, it's, a lot, it's a lot warmer here in the quote-unquote wintertime than it is in, uh, in, the, in the Washington, D.C. area where Georgetown is. It's a phenomenal – it's a good school, but – so is Arizona State. Just I know. I know. Even though I will, <laughs> I will say this, Arizona State, because I lived in Phoenix for a while, um, that is, Arizona State does have the prettier women, but 
Also, Georgetown is right next to or is in a subway distance metro ride to Howard University, which have the best looking women on the planet as far as on campus is concerned. Good Lord have mercy. I mean, you know, you walk around that campus, man, that was what. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't, but ASU uh, was yeah, always definitely. definitely in the tops and like Maxim and, you know, these magazines like for co-eds in general and. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's one of those things where I, I understand what people are saying, but everybody, hey, look, everybody wants to take a shot way. at the best. Yeah, you can't go wrong either way. Either way, I mean, what do you like, Halle Berry or uh, Halle Berry or um, or uh, Viva Guerrero? I don't know. So, yeah, you know, Selma Hayek, 1994. You're, you're not losing either way. So, there you go, man. Michael Caratanudo, AZ Preps 365. Check him out. Believe, was it Believe in College Sports? Believe in Pac-12 basketball. Believe in Pac-12 basketball. The podcast is fantastic. You do what a couple of shows a week? Uh, no, just one a week for now, and then when when the season gets started, at some point we'll be doing uh, two a week. So you're on iTunes. Oh yeah, wherever people can get their uh, iTunes. Their, uh, yeah, it's good. Yep. It's good. Really podcast, good podcast. Yeah. Those guys do a great job, and uh, as you can tell, he's very knowledgeable about what's going on in the world of sports. That's the reason why he's on my podcast, Michael, my man. Thank you very much. I will talk to you later. Absolutely. It was great. All right, man. All right. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host Wendell Wallace, so glad that you'll be with us. Alright, so that was a great discussion. Once again, I want to thank Michael Caratadudo, play-by-play announcer, sideline reporter, update guy, update anchor host for AZ Preps 365, podcast called Believe, Believe in Pac-12 Basketball, with former Oregon State player Ahmad Starks. Great interview, loved having him on. Good points, good discussions. He made a lot of good discussions, got a lot uh, a lot of things going down. So it was a joy, absolute joy, and I hope that you enjoyed it also. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Let's get on to some basketball, man. Let's get on to some NBA basketball. NBA playoffs start Monday, NCAA tournament style. We got Monday's game as I'm recording this. I just saw Utah and Denver. Denver outlasted the Jazz in overtime. Jamal Murray, unbelievable. Donovan Mitchell scoring 57. Nikola Jokic, fantastic. Up now, I'm watching Brooklyn and Toronto as I'm recording this podcast here at my humble abode in Northwest Las Vegas. Toronto easily ahead of Brooklyn. Not going to be too much of a series. That's the reason why I am recording this podcast now and not having my full attention 
on the uh, on that game because I know Toronto and Brooklyn for the most part, especially when you're speaking about game one is going to be around. After Brooklyn and Toronto today, we have the Boston Celtics and the Philadelphia 76ers. Game four in the nightcap, we'll have the Dallas Mavericks and the Los Angeles Clippers. Don't know when you're going to be receiving or listening to this podcast. It's going to be published probably on a Tuesday morning or maybe a Monday night. So basically, I'm not going to be giving like play-by-play conversations, thoughts, and opinions about these games because, as I mentioned before, watch the first game of the day between Denver and Utah. Now halftime as the Raptors are blowing out the uh, Brooklyn Nets. So by the time I finish this, it'll probably be somewhere in the fourth quarter of the game one between Brooklyn and Toronto. So, you know, I'll get back to be talking about, I'll get back to talking about the series, uh, Boston, Philadelphia, the Clippers in Dallas a little bit later on my next podcast. And then Tuesday's games, game ones, we have Orlando versus Milwaukee, Miami versus Indiana, Oklahoma City versus Houston, and the Portland Trailblazers versus the Los Angeles Lakers. So, of course, a series of interest for me. Can Portland be a real threat to the Los Angeles Lakers? Of course, the Lakers being the the glamour team. Of course, the Lakers with the tradition. Of course, the Lakers being the number two market in the NBA and in the world media-wise. Speaking about any team with LeBron James is going to be having the attention, the spotlight on them mostly. So, Portland, can they get it done? The Lakers won the season series from Portland two games to one. Of course, none of those games were played in the bubble Really, if you think about it, man, Portland has been in playoff mode since the restart of the season this month. The last five games, when you're speaking about Philadelphia, Dallas, Brooklyn, Memphis, those four games, they've basically been playoff elimination games. And they've won those games by a combined 11 points. So you're speaking about their last game that they played, Portland beating Memphis, the play-in game, 126-122. Damn, that was a fun as hell game to watch. They outscored Memphis 37-28 in the fourth quarter for the win. Damian Lillard had 31 points. But this is something that you need to be concentrating on. This is something if you're hoping for the Portland Trailblazers to pull off the upset and beat the Lakers. This is something that you need to be concentrating on if you think that Dame is going to be scoring 60-plus points for five or six or seven games. He was gassed at the end of the game. He was really gassed in that game against Memphis. He didn't really have anything left. And if you take a look at it, he didn't score a basket in the fourth quarter. He went 5 for 5 from the free throw line against Memphis in the fourth and 0 from 1, a 26-foot jumper uh, midway through the fourth. Other than that, that was it. For the game, 14 of his 15 shot attempts were three-pointers, and he was 14 for 14 from the line. C.J. McCollum was the guy who Damian Lillard, the... Trailblazers to the victory. He scored 14 of his 29 points in the fourth quarter. He made a step back three point shot to tie the game at 111 with 308 left in the fourth. Then he made another step back three point shot with a minute 50 to give Portland a 117 113 lead. And then on the next position possession, he made a 21 foot jumper over John Morant, which was an awesome shot to give Portland a six point lead, 119 113 with a minute 21 left to go in the fourth quarter. And what's even more remarkable about this is McCollum is basically playing, had been playing since the restart of the season in Orlando. He's been playing with a broken back. Figure that. 
I don't know. It's not like actually like the broken back where we think a broken back is a broken back. It's like one of the vertebrae or something in his back is broken, something like that. So he's able to stand up straight, but basically in layman's terms, it's a broken back. So I'm not a doctor and I don't play one on the uh, on the podcast airways, but yeah, man. So kudos to him for bringing the Port Trailblazers to the victory in that play-in game against the Memphis Grizzlies. Yukas Nurchich had 22 points, 21 rebounds for the winners. He had a big three-point play, rebounding the Carlo Mel, uh, Carmelo Anthony miss to break a 111 tie with 2.40 left to go into the game. Man, you know what? Everybody was talking about, I shouldn't say everybody, a lot of people were talking about, man, you know, Portland's going to be back and Portland's going to be much better than they were when the season was postponed or the season was uh, halted because they're going to get Nurchich back and they're going to get Zach Collins back. So the team that's right now currently in the eighth or ninth place, the Trailblazers in March, in the stoppage in March, they're going to be much better when they get Nurchich back. And I was like, well, wait, 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 wait a minute. Did y'all see how gruesome that injury was? In that game against the Nets, uh, way back when, where he broke his leg, did you see the horror of people when he fell to the floor, when people realized what his leg looked like or the position that his leg was in in the court? Did you see the people run for the hills and hide their faces because it was too gruesome to take a look at? And you guys think that this was less than a year ago, that he's going to bounce back and be the guy that he was before that injury happened so quickly? I was very skeptical about that. You saw how long it took Paul George when he broke his leg and came back. You saw how long it took before Paul George became the Paul George that we all know and love right now or the player that he is right now. I thought Nurkic was a guy where, yeah, big body, can give you some give you some rebounds, can give you some time on the court, strengthens your depth, all those type of things. That's fantastic. But I didn't think Nurkic was going to come back and be a 17-10 and 10 guy shooting 51% in 31 minutes per game. I didn't know that he was going to be the low post threat and anchor the defense on uh, from the center position like he was. But damn, he's been good. Zach Collins, you can tell that he's rusty. Zach Collins, you can tell that, you know, it's still not there. But Nurkic has been fantastic for the Blazers considering what he went through and that injury that he had. So... Basically, man, you know, this is an entirely different team. You got Dame rolling like he was rolling. So the question is, can they give the Lakers a scare in the first round? So I'm thinking for that to happen, number one, Lillard's going to have to go 1963-64 Jerry West against the Baltimore Bullets, where he averaged like 45 points a game or 43 points a game, some nonsense like that. He's going to have to average, I'm, I'm telling you, man, Lillard is going to have to average at least 45 points a game. He's going to have to have 250-plus point games in this series. Don't know what's going to be happening in game one, might happen in game two, but in the first two or three games, he's going to have to put up, he's going to have to put up 50 plus, I think, for the Trailblazers to have a real shot. Against LA this season, he's averaging 36 points a game in the regular season. He's going to have to dominate from the guard position because if you take a look at it, one of the weaknesses of LA is that their guard play. Avery Bradley was so important for those guys, not because it gave them depth, not because with him not being there, they had to go out and get themselves J.R. Smith, who I don't know how many minutes he'll get in a rotation once the playoffs start anyway. It might be a break glass in case of emergency type of situation. But Avery Bradley, not only was he a guy who was a threat in terms of the three-point shot, you had to honor him rising to take a three-point shot. He was also a very good defender. He was by far the best perimeter defender on the Lakers. 
So with him not being there, who in the world is going to be guarding Damian Lillard? Are you going to put in Danny Green? I don't think so. Are you going to put in KCP? Are you going to put Alex Caruso on him? Are you going to put on put Dion Waiters? Who else? Rondo isn't coming back. Rondo is back from injury, but right now he's quarantining. So are you going to ask Rondo, even at full strength, that would be highly difficult for him to do? Are you going to ask him to uh, guard Lillard? So Lillard has the opportunity because of the lack of guard play from the Lakers to go all for a 60. Now, this was maybe 10 years ago, 12 years ago, eight years ago, you would put LeBron James on him and do to him what LeBron James did to Derrick Rose back his first year with the Miami Heat. But I don't know about this, man. I have no idea how they're going to be able to stop Damian Lillard. So again, he's going to have to go off for 50 twice. He's going to have to average 45 plus for the Trailblazers to have a chance. And so far in the bubble, man, this is a guy who's averaging 46 points per fucking game over his last what, four or five games. 46 points, 10 assists, shooting 40% from the three-point line, 14 three-point attempts per game in 42 and a half minutes averaging. I mean, damn. <laughs> I mean, he'd been up to it. My question with Lillard is, and it was the same thing um, in the conference, Western Conference Finals last year, against the Golden State Warriors. He just ran out of gas. I mean, he had a great game one, but, you know, you could tell Draymond was on him and the defense was on him. And even though the Warriors didn't have Kevin Durant, it was basically where they just wore him down. And the series before and everything that Portland had to do to get there, by the time they got to the Western Conference Final, Lillard was no longer the Lillard that we knew and loved that was waving goodbye to Russell Westbrook and Paul Paul George after hitting... A, a shot to send him home in from Astoria, from Astoria. So, I don't know how. I don't know how much left Lillard has in the tank because, you know, the the lack of depth from the Trailblazers, especially from the guard position, Lillard's going to have to play over forty minutes a game. So it's going to be a lot. I mean, and the Lakers might not be the greatest all defensively, but they're not Dallas. You know, I mean, when. Lillard comes off that high pick and roll, whether it be from the top of the key, and for Lillard, top of the key means the top of the circle, like the NBA logo. When Lillard comes off those screens 27, 28, 30 feet away, is he going to be as proficient pulling up and knocking threes as he did 5, 6, 7, 8, 10, 12 days ago? And if you take a look at the explosion that he had against the Dallas Mavericks, when they switched off and Lillard was on Christoph Porzingis, that was easy pickings. That was George Gervin versus Kevin Greavy type of dis, uh, of a mismatch. Ain't no way. So Lillard, you're speaking about Porzingis picking him up 22, 23 feet away from the basket with Lillard very easily being able to hit a 25, 26-footer, which Porzingis had to get respect to. Well, Lillard just took him to the basket and hit layup after layup after layup, got fouled, went to the foul line. I mean, he was unstoppable. That's against Christoph Porzingis. It ain't going to be that easy against Anthony Davis. Now, I don't know what the Trailblazers, they're going to try, if JaVale or if Dwight Howard are in the game, they're going to try that high pick and roll with them. Even with JaVale, who's mobile from the center position, even with Dwight Howard, who might not be the defensive fiend in terms of commanding the paint that he was nine, ten years ago, but he's still a better, bigger threat than Christoph Porzingis. It's going to be much more difficult for Damian Lillard to score as many points and be as proficient as he was in the games 
when he was averaging, you know, when he was scoring 60 and 50 points per game. He's going to have to get hot. He's going to have to be really, really hot. So it'll be interesting. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So we talked about the chances that the Portland Trailblazers have to beat the Los Angeles Lakers. We talked about Damian, Damian Lillard. What about C.J. McCollum? He struggled against Philadelphia. He's been up and down. I mean, he looked great against Memphis, but through no fault of his own. I mean, hell, the motherfucker's playing with a broken fucking back. It's amazing the guy is out there doing anything at all. Shows you the heart. Shows you the mental toughness. Shows you the resilience that C.J. McCollum has. But because he's playing with a broken fucking back, you know, he's been up and down on the offensive end. Can't get too much from him from the defensive end. Offensively, he's struggled at times. He was 7 for 17 to a 6 from the three-point line against the Philadelphia 76ers. Against Dallas, he was 2 for 14 overall, 1 for 5 from the three-point line in 39 minutes. Missed a lot of easy shots. Against Brooklyn, the game that, man, they were... uh, Karis LeVert shot away from being eliminated from the uh, playoffs. He shot poorly in the first half, even though he came up big in the fourth quarter against the Nets. So if the series is going to go six, seven games, if you're a Portland Trailblazer fan, how much can you count on? We talked about, or I talked about, Damian Lillard running out of gas because of the responsibilities that he has on the offensive side of the ball. Now you throw in a situation where C.J. McCollum, we don't, we don't know what we're going to be getting. Just because he played poorly in game one or the scenario or the, you know, the situation where he might be playing poorly in game one doesn't automatically mean he's going to be playing poorly in game two. Or even if he has a poor or great first half, that doesn't mean that he's going to continue it with the same type of play in the second half, good or bad. So it's an inconsistent situation for Coach Terry Stotts to know what type of what type of performance we're going to be getting from C.J. McCollum. And that dictates how much of a responsibility on the offensive end does that go to uh, Damian Lillard and Lucas, uh, Yusuf Nurkic. Really the only two guys, maybe Carmelo Anthony, but I don't think Carmelo is that guy who now where you can do the ISO, that you can get him 15, 18 shots, put him in... Uh, advantageous positions like he was when he was first playing in Denver and first playing with the New York Knicks. So when you take a look at reliable scores, I mean, you have Damian Lillard and who else do you have? And there was a lot of little mellow missed a couple of really good looks in the games down the stretch. Now he had a great three point shot to ice the game against Memphis off a penetration dribble by Damian Lillard from the uh, right side. But, you know, I, I don't I don't know. I don't know. So these are the type of things that Terry Stott's going to be able to, going to, going to have to be able to come up with something if the Trailblazers are going to be competitive against L.A. And then you also, that's just the offensive end of the floor. Then you take a look at the defense. Who in the hell for Portland is going to be able to guard LeBron and Anthony Davis? Port, Portland is not very good on defense. Newsflash. They were 27th in defensive rating allowing 113 points per 100 possessions. And then in the bubble, they improved, but they still ranked 20th out of 22, mind you, allowing 120 points. So no, they didn't get better. They got worse. My bad. So who's going to be defending LeBron? Especially since Trevor Ariza, dealing with a personal situation, couldn't make it to the bubble. I mean, he was someone who maybe you could put on LeBron for 10 to 15 minutes and give him a different look or make him work a little bit. But... Who on Portland's squad is going to be able to guard LeBron? Gary Trent? Mario Herzonia? Zach Collins? I don't know. Carmelo Anthony? Fuck no. 
I wouldn't do that to Mellow. Man, Lala, as much as she doesn't like Mellow, when she first found out that she was cheating on him, which led to uh, talk of them getting divorced, even Lala isn't that cold-blooded to have Carmelo guard LeBron for any long period of stretches. So I don't know what they're going to do in that situation. And then again, who else is going to guard Anthony Davis? Hassan Whiteside, Nurchich, Zach Collins? Doing those two, they're going to have to double team. Now, when they double team, I, they're, I'm, they're going to double team AD in the post. They're going to double team him even when he catches it from, you know, 16, 17 feet away from the basket, left or right side, and he faces up. That's when the double team's going to come, I believe. Wasn't in the coaches' meeting today with Coach Stott, so don't take this for gospel. But my thought pattern would be, with all my years and years of experience coaching NBA basketball, but I would think that you would have to go ahead and double-team Anthony Davis, maybe just maybe on the catch, maybe not even on the turn and face, but even with the catch, you go ahead and double-team him, get him, get the ball out of his hands, swing the ball around. Who's going to be able to hit that open three-point shot for the Los Angeles Lakers? Danny Green? LeBron? Who knows? But with LeBron and AD, if I'm Portland, I double-team those guys a lot. It's going to be harder to double-team LeBron because he's going to be farther away from the basket. And with his ball-handling skills and his genius of a basketball player, he's going to make the right play, you know, 99 times out of 100. But what else can you do if you're the Portland Trailblazers? And the fact that not only are they bad on defense, because their bench is so thin, they're also not a very good rebounding team. So when the Lakers are going to be going with LeBron, AD, Dwight, or JaVale McGee on the court, even though LeBron doesn't rebound like he has done in the past. I mean, who's going to be able to get Dwight Howard off the boards? Who's going to be able to check JaVale McGee off the boards? And there was a game in the bubble against Indiana where Dwight Howard went to town on the uh, front court of Indiana. I think he had like 9 or 10 offensive rebounds. He had 13 rebounds total. He had 9 or 10 of them offensive, and, um, and he played around 20 minutes. So who's going to be able to check those guys off the glass? So I don't know. I don't know. Portland got destroyed on the offensive glass, especially in the fourth quarter against Brooklyn and Memphis. It seemed like Jared Allen for the Nets. He was grabbing offensive rebounds off of offensive rebounds. It wasn't because Nurkic is saw for a chump. It's just because he was damn tired. And you can't put Whiteside and Nurkic on the floor together, maybe because of the big lineup with AD and one of the centers, AD doesn't want to play the uh, doesn't want to play the center. You go ahead and you put in Zach Collins in there, but I don't know. I don't know if you're Portland. I have no idea. And what about the Lakers here on Wendell's World of Sports? I'm your host Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The Lakers went three and five with the second worst offense in the bubble. I mean, the Lakers aren't coming in firing at full cylinders. I'm sorry, Armando Vasquez. They're not coming in at full you know full force. Sorry, Darian. They're not coming in. At full force. Sorry, Corey Harrison. They're not coming in at full force. They rank second to last since the restart in points per game. They're averaging 100. They're giving up 106 points per game. They're 19th in field goal percentage, somewhere around 44 percent. And before the season started, just to just before the season ended, just to kind of give you a uh, just to give you a comparison, the Lakers ranked seventh in points per game and led the league in field goal percentage. So the time off for some. And maybe the people are talking about, well, no big deal. The Lakers came in basically guaranteed, not guaranteed, but the odds of them getting the number one seed were, were very high to begin with. So the motivation factor, especially 
when you're speaking about someone like LeBron, who's 35 years old in the 17th season, basically he came in rusty. The fact that, you know, people might say that the four months off was, was great for LeBron. But at that age, man, it's harder to stop and start once you break your routine. So he's using these eight playoff, he's using these eight playing games or regular season games to get himself into shape to shake off some of the rust that was accumulated during his time off. I don't care how much you practice. I don't care how much you train. I don't care how much you do with your trainer. There's nothing like getting an NBA basketball playing shape. The only way that you can get an NBA basketball playing shape is playing NBA basketball games. So I'm not too worried about LeBron. I don't think LeBron is falling off a cliff. But again, 17 seasons, 35 years old, a lot of wear and tear on that magnificent, unbelievable, generational freak body that he has. And while because of his superior genetics and his attention to detail and how he takes care of himself and how he dedicates himself to being in the best physical shape as possible as he ages, his intelligence in terms of taking care of himself through nutrition and weightlifting and stretching and meditation and those type of things. He's not your average 35-year-old who's played 17 years in the NBA and logged the type of minutes that he's logged. But still, the LeBron that we know of is a different type of player than he was when he was even with the Cleveland Cavaliers and led them to the upset victory over the Golden State Warriors a few years ago. He's a different type of ball player. And he's going to need Anthony Davis. He's going to need, I hate to say it, Alex Caruso. He's going to need more than ever Cal Kuzma if he's going to uh, win a championship. Cal Kuzma and Anthony Davis has to be his Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving. Cal Kuzma and Anthony Davis needs to be his Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. So we'll see. We'll see. But the Lakers shooting is a problem. The team's true shooting percentage is somewhere around 53.7. It's the second worst in the bubble, only ahead of the Washington Boule Wizards. The Lakers shot 30% from the three-point line as a team uh, when the um, play resumed. And you speak about their individual three-point shooting. Danny Green's at 25%. Contavious Caldwell-Pope is at 27%. Alex Caruso is at 15%. Deion Waiters is at 23%. Anthony Davis is at 30%. J.R. Smith is at 9%. So when the double comes, who's going to be able to make that wide-open three? I'm telling you, this has got to be Kuzma. Kuzma is the key for the Lakers. Now, against Portland, how much? I think against Portland... He can uh, he can be very productive. He can uh, have the guy. He can be the guy that LeBron's going to score 23 and AD's going to give you 27. Kuzma is that guy that can give you 14 to 16 to 17 points. How's he going to do on defense? Garden Mellow will be interesting. How's he going to do on those pick and rolls when he's switched on to Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum? We'll see. But I think Kuzma's going to have a good series. I really do. I think he's going to be able to take uh, advantage of the defense on Mello and anybody else they throw on him and he's going to be the recipient of a lot of good looks created by the doubles on LeBron and Anthony Davis so we'll see man we'll see I think the Lakers are going to win the series in five again I think Lillard's going to come up come up with two or three really big games and even in those let's say for instance he had three big games I think the Lakers are still going to win one or two of them so just Lillard having a big game where he's scoring 45-plus, 50-plus. That doesn't guarantee that the Trailblazers are going to win. If you remember, they were they were nail-biters when they were playing the Brooklyn Nets and the Dallas Mavericks 
and the Memphis Grizzlies and these guys. So it doesn't equate an easy win for Portland when Lillard goes off on the offensive end. So I think AD and LeBron are each going to have big games. I think two of these games, three of these games are going to average at least uh, 50 points apiece. Or, you know, combined to go for 50 points. And once again, I think Kuzma is going to be the biggest benefactor in AD and um, AD and LeBron raising their game. So when everything is all said and done, I'm saying Lakers in five. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. What's going on? What's happening? How you feeling, man? You doing all right? You doing good? Young lady, how you doing? You doing good? You feeling all right? Everything good with you in the world today? You're making it one minute at a time, man. Let's see what we can do to make it to the next minute, man. What can we do to live another 60 seconds? And then after that, another 60 seconds. And then after that, another 60 seconds. And after that, another 6,000 seconds. And after that, another 600,000 seconds. Let's see what we can do, man. Just one day at a time, sweet Jesus. That's all I'm asking from you. Ah, boy, oh boy, oh boy. I'm sitting up here again. I was thinking about Ubering today, but I was like, fuck that, man. I'm so tired of that shit. I have to do something, right? Because, you know, I gotta gotta get paid. And again, with, you know, Nevada screwing me in terms of not giving me my money. You know, the bills don't stop. So you have to prioritize which bills are going to be paid, which bills are not going to be paid, which bills are going to be paid next this month, what bills can be paid next month. So it's all that shit that's going down and Still waiting for the uh, school starts next week. So, I don't know when I'm going to be working with that is concerned. So, a lot of things up in the air in my life. But the one thing that aren't in the up in the air that I have control over is doing great podcasts, being entertaining, being thought-provoking, being passionate about what I'm talking about, having fun while I'm doing it. This shit is like my therapy, man. You know, all this other stuff the real world presents, presents to me. All the challenges that it presents to me for the amount of time that I do this podcast, I don't worry about it. Everything is awesome. It's complete euphoria. You know, I mean, people say, why are you fucking podcast are so long? Man, live my life a day and try to find some time to be happy. Try to find some time to feel good about yourself. Find some time to enjoy life. Find some time to be ultimately positive and all those type of things. I get my greatest joy in the day, maybe in the week. There's nothing that I like more except having sex 
than to uh, do my podcast. So if I can go ahead and do that and experience the feeling that I experience when I'm doing this, hey, man, y'all are lucky that I don't do fucking five-hour podcasts. You know what I'm saying? Five days a fucking week. Make that seven days a fucking week because that would give me 35 hours of nothing but pleasure. Outside of sex, this is the best thing that you can have to make yourself feel good. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us talking about what's happening in the NBA um, playoffs. Spoke about the Lakers and the Portland Trailblazers. We'll also get into, man, one of the playoff series that I'm really interested in is the Oklahoma City Thunder versus the Houston Rockets. Chris Paul playing against his old team in James Harden. Chris Paul always seems, with the exception of, no, Chris Paul, when you think about it, has always left the teams that he's played for better but more saltier. You know what I'm saying? There's always this, like, goddamn shit, fuck this, that, and the other, Chris Paul, motherfucker shit, this, that, and the other, when he leaves the team. And he did that with the Lakers. He did that with the Houston Rockets. So this is a situation where Chris Paul, James Harden, didn't get along with each other. At the end of the of their partnership, their relationship, and Paul was traded to the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder in December. There was friction about, you know, when James Harden didn't have the ball, he's staying around and do nothing. And here's Chris Paul with the basketball in his hands trying to orchestrate the offense, trying to get some people some good shots. And James Harden is over on the other side of the court doing nothing. And Chris Paul's like, hey, man, what the fuck are you doing? Are you going to run this play? Are you going to be part of this team on offense when you don't have the ball or, or not? What the fuck the matter with you, man? And James Harden was like, you know what, man? If I have to hear Chris Paul yell, whine, scream, and all that kind of stuff one more time while dribbling the basketball while I don't have it, I'm going to take my beard and I'm going to put it down his fucking throat. That type of animus was between Chris Paul and James Harden, as reported. Don't know if James Harden was really going to put that beard down his throat. But um, basically, they just didn't get along. Just, you know, oil and water in terms of their relationship on what they were asked to do as teammates on the basketball court for the Houston Rockets. So Chris Paul traded to Oklahoma City. People thought that, you know, this was a situation where is Chris Paul going to wind his way out of town? Is Chris Paul going to pout his way out of town? Is Chris Paul going to be doing everything that he can to get himself out of town to play for a winner? Chris Paul is 35 years old. He's never been to the NBA Finals, let alone win a championship. This is a man that's going to go down with the John Stocktons and the Isaiah Thomases of the world as the best point guards who's ever played the game. And unlike those guys... Well, John Stockton at least made it to the finals, but, you know, John Stockton's made it to the finals. Isaiah Thomas is a multiple-time NBA champion. A lot of the point guards have either, either been to the championship, won a championship and such. Chris Paul is one of those guys who hasn't had that ability yet. So the thought process was in a year where they were going to be rebuilding with a coach in Billy Donovan who... In some circles, I guess he's still trying to earn his chops in terms of being a really good NBA basketball coach. Um, you know, it might be making for a combustible situation in Oklahoma City, but no, Chris Paul has been awesome, man. I think if you take a look at the best point guards in the game, the best pure point guard in the game is still Chris Ball, Paul. The ability to run the offense, still one of the last of the old school point guards who is an uber-athletic and is not looking to score, you know, 20, 25 points a game. He's more about cheeks than he is Allen Iverson. You can make an argument there if Allen Iverson was really a um, point guard. But what I'm saying is the last of the pure point guards is Chris Paul. So it will be interesting him coming back, what he's done for Oklahoma City. Billy Donovan should, along with Taylor Jenkins, be considered strong candidates for a Coach of the Year situations. 
Um, it's going to be interesting. I don't think those two guys are going to be getting in fights or anything like that. I don't think that it's going to be the same situation in terms of those guys yapping back and forth and talking shit to each other like when Kevin Durant first came back to Oklahoma City when he was with Golden State and him and Westbrook got into a bunch of uh, um, uh, shouting matches or, you know, bump-gumping matches during the uh, during the uh, game when Kevin Durant first came back. But it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see. I'm really focusing also, and maybe this shouldn't be fair because the shortcomings of James Harden, I think, are a little bit overblown, but it's there. It's valid, too. I mean, James Harden has had, especially in important games, meaningful games, games where it's kind of like, you know, are you a guy that's just going to be, you know, a regular season player and average a whole bunch of points and make a whole bunch of shots and put on an offensive scoring uh, uh, display like we've never seen before, but when times get tough, when times get rough, when times get important in the playoffs, are you going to disappear? I think James Harden has deserved some of that criticism. I don't think it should be as as much as a lot of people are putting on him, but the evidence is there. So, you know, I, I, Russell Westbrook, he's going to be missing the first couple of games against his old team in Oklahoma City Thunder. He, according to uh, Oklahoma, uh, Houston Rockets, Rockets uh, reporter Jonathan Fagan, the uh, Rockets guard Russell Westbrook is expected to miss at least the first few games of Houston's playoff series against the Thunder. Westbrook underwent an MRI for a strained right quad on Wednesday. He could be out of the lineup for more than just a few games in round one. Westbrook's return will be dictated by how he responds to the treatment. That's according to Adrian Wojnarowski, bigger responsibility for James Harden to score and shoot and create and do more for the Houston Rockets in this 40-plus minutes that he's going to be asked to play against the Oklahoma City Thunder. No excuses, man. No excuses for James Harden. He's been averaging 35 points, 9 rebounds, 8 assists, shooting 53% from the floor in the bubble games. He's had four months off. Also, a lot of times the excuse for his shortcomings and why he came up small in the big moments was because he just ran out of gas because we're speaking about the second round of the playoffs. We're speaking about the Western Conference Finals without the break. So he had so much responsibility being the man for the Houston Rockets that by the time he got to the important parts, he just didn't have it anymore. I don't buy that bullshit, but I do think now that it's like you, for those who are going to defend James Harden on that front using that excuse, that's no longer available. James Harden had four months off. James Harden came back in great shape. There should be no, well, you know, James Harden just ran out of gas, gas even if Russell Westbrook doesn't come back. And outside of, I guess, Giannis, right? You know, LeBron trying to chase the ring to get closer to Jordan. The biggest guy with, or the biggest name with something to prove outside of Giannis is James Harden. If you take a look at his playoff performances in 2015 and 16 and 17 and 18 and 19, they've been underwhelming in some important spots. I'm not talking about getting past the first round. I mean, big whoop damn do But the expectations that Houston have had during the season and how far they could go in the playoffs were not met in, in part because James Harden in the important moments didn't show up. In 2017, you remember that game against the San Antonio Spurs, Game 6, where LaMarcus Aldridge wasn't playing? Or no, it was, uh, no, no, LaMarcus Aldridge finally showed up and played. That was the game that they didn't have Tony Parker or Kawhi Leonard. And Houston lost by 39 at home in an elimination game. 
And Harden shot 211 from the field, had six turnovers and fouled out. And then afterwards, later on that night, he was shown or he was on camera somewhere partying at a nightclub after the game was over. And the discussion was, is James Harden either A, trying to do everything he can to get the coaches fired, or is he trying to uh, get himself traded himself? I mean, you're going to go out and party and all this kind of stuff after the game was over. He was talking about how tired he was and how he just ran out of gas. And then a few hours later, you're out there boogieing like it's 1999. Interesting. Interesting. 2018. If you remember that, he shot 12 for 28 from the field, 2 or 13 from the three-point line. In Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals against the Golden State Warriors at home. That was the game where Houston missed 27 straight three-point shots at one point. Finished the game 7 of 44 from the three-point line. That was the season where Houston had a 3-2 series lead. Chris Paul, I think, pulled his hamstring or something like that near the end of game 5. So Houston had two opportunities to end the game, losing game 6 on the road. No big deal. But damn, the game was close, game 7, and they shot 7 for 44 from the field. And James Harden didn't do diddly when time times came for him to do something. And again, whoever won that series, Golden State did, everybody knew that they were going to crush Cleveland in the finals that season. And Golden State did. And uh, missed opportunity. Of all of the teams that James Harden played for in Houston so far, that was his best chance to win an NBA championship. And in a situation like that, even though you didn't have Chris Paul, two opportunities to dethrone the, 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 the Western Conference champion, Defending Western Conference champion Golden State Warriors. That was you, that's what you came up with. Underperforming, underwhelming. Then again, 2019 against Golden State. After Paul and these guys were talking so much shit with Golden State. Talking about how, you know, if it wasn't for Chris Paul's injury last year, we would have won the, uh, we would have beat him in the Western Conference Finals and all that shit talking that the Golden State Warriors were doing. They lost the last two games of the series after Kevin Durant got injured. They had the series that they could have won when Durant got injured in the third quarter. They blew that game. Then they came back and lost the last two games. And Harden, he wasn't terrible. He wasn't atrocious, but it was just like underwhelming. It was like, eh. I mean, that's kind of a performance we can get from a guy who's a pretty good player. Maybe a really good player. But when you're the MVP, or when you're the defending MVP, I forgot what what year Harden won. But it was like... If you're supposed to be the best player in the league, one of the best players in the league, that's the best you can give us when we need it, when we need you the most. In a situation where you have Steph Curry getting his getting his game on, the Golden State Warriors looking to repeat, you know, the dynasty of the Golden State Warriors playing without Kevin Durant, and this is what you come up with? Underwhelming. Underwhelming. So James Harden, man, he has a lot to prove. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. And I'm also interested to see exactly how successful can the Rockets' style of play be in the playoffs when you're speaking about the ultimate in small ball. God bless you, Mike D'Antoni. Mike Mike D'Antoni. I'm I'm serious, man. Guys like him, Don Nelson, who brought in when he was with Golden State, these guys who want to get up and down the court and run, 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 and put up numbers and shoot threes and play an exciting brand of basketball. God bless you. We need more of you. But it's going to be a... You know, it's going to be a, a verdict on whether this can really work or not. Especially if Westbrook misses a lot of time in the first round. Because here was a guy where he wasn't shooting as many three-pointers as he did in Oklahoma City. A guy in Westbrook who was shooting, I don't know, what, low 30s, high 20s. 
shooting five or six three-point shots a game when he was with Oklahoma City. Now he curbed that a lot in Houston, and he just fucking just took it to the rim, man. I didn't see anybody take it to the rim with that type of ferocity since Derrick Rose was in his prime and before all you old heads. Remember Sarunas Marcellonis when he was with Golden State? I had the opportunity to watch him while I was living in the Bay Area for a while. I mean, that guy was just like a wrecking ball, man. He put his head down, and he went straight through the hoop, and he didn't care, give a damn who was there. He was going to go around them, over them, or through them. I mean, that was the same thing with Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook is such a physical specimen and such an uber athlete standing 6'3", that when you know he put his head down with a full head of steam, not hair of esteem, and he went to the basket, I mean, who was going to stop him? And so he got the opportunity to score. He got the opportunity to be fouled and go to the foul line. And he also had the opportunity to start initiating the offense, swinging the ball around, penetration, kick it out for three-pointers from Harden or Eric Gordon or Ben McLemore, Jeff Green, corner threes from Jeff Green, P.J. Tucker, or who was ever else in the game, Robert Covington. But the Rockets are just going to shoot threes, they're going to shoot threes, they're going to shoot threes, they're going to shoot threes. It'll be interesting to see which way the teams, two teams play, which one is going to enforce their will for the other team to make the adjustment. So, yeah, when you have a starting lineup of James Harden, Austin Rivers, Eric Gordon, Robert Covington, P.J. Tucker, Robert Covington, the only guy that stands 6'8", and he's a real thin 6'8". Jeff Green comes off the bench from Georgetown University. You got goddamn right. He stands about 6'8". You know, I, I, don't, I don't know who else. I don't know who else is going to be coming in there to try to guard Steven Adams. Steven Adams is a monster of a man standing somewhere around seven feet tall, one of the strongest, if not the strongest, basketball player in the NBA. Robert Covington ain't going to be able to keep him off the glass. P.J. Tucker isn't going to be able to keep him from dominating the low post. Now, Robert, uh, now Steven Adams is not Joel Embiid. He doesn't have the low post moves of a Kareem or Wilt Chamberlain. But still, when you're that big and you're that strong, I mean, what's the big deal about, you know, on, on pick and rolls to roll to the basket? Who in the hell is going to stop you? Who in the hell is even going to want to get in front of you? P.J. Tucker's a bad, mean motherfucker who's got, you know, toughness galore. But the man's only about six feet five. Is he going to be able to consistently be able to bang against Steven Adams for five, six, seven games? On the other hand, though, what about Steven Adams? This man is not going to be, is not comfortable leaving the paint. So should we assume that P.J. Tucker and Robert Covington are going to be having a bunch of wide open threes or at the very least, you know, unscramble the defense and have them pass the ball around so where they can get other shooters, wide open looks from the three-point line for Houston? It'll be interesting to see exactly which one of these systems are going to uh, uh, press their will against the other and have the other one adjust. Is Houston going to have to? Houston doesn't have a center. Clint Capella ain't coming back to the uh, Houston Rockets, folks, this season. And they don't have anybody else. You, you can't make a quick trade for a seven-foot behemoth to stand in front of uh, Steven Adams between him and the rim. You can't do that. So Jeff Green coming off the bench has no chance. So I don't, I don't know exactly if it's Robert Covington, if it's P.J. Tucker. I, I don't know exactly who else is going to be able to guard Steven Adams. And if Steven Adams gets one of those players in foul trouble, Houston is not the deepest team to begin with, especially if you're speaking about from a front court position. So I don't know.
I don't know what's going to happen with that. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. OKC, as I mentioned before, you know, Chris Paul is not the only player playing with a chip on his shoulder. Chris Paul is not the only player out there who with uh, something to prove. He's really not. If you think about such guys as Danilo Gallinari, averaging around 18 points per game. He got traded from the Clippers when they went out and got themselves Paul George. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, another guy that was put into that Paul George trade. He's been outstanding. He leads the team with 19 points per game. Dennis Schroeder, one of the contenders for sixth man of the year, averaging almost 19 points a game. Now, Schroeder came back to the bubble. He went through quarantine. He left because of the birth of his second child, but he came back against the Clippers, scored 17 points on uh, 6 to 12 shooting. So he looks he looks pretty good. But if the Thunder cannot take advantage of the small lineup, and if Adams turns out to be a liability, where do you go if you're Oklahoma City, man? I mean, you would have to go with a lineup where, what, Gallinari's going to have to play the five? So you would have Paul at the point, Schroeder at the guard, Gilgis Alexander at the small forward, Lukic Dort playing the uh, combo four, and then Gallinari at the five to match up with a lineup that had Covington and P.J. Tucker and Jeff Green or Austin Rivers and Eric Gordon and those guys, Ben Lack, Mack, Lamore. So basically the Oklahoma City Thunder are going to have to match small ball with their small ball. If they play small ball, the Houston Rockers are going to win this series. So it'll be interesting. And you're also speaking about Zach Lowe made an excellent point the fact that, you know, Chris Paul gets a lot of his work scoring, facilitating, tempoing the offense by doing high screen and rolls and hunting out a center for them to try that try that uh, mismatch, having Chris Paul out on the perimeter against the center because Chris Paul now at 35 and the injuries that he's had no longer has the quickness just to beat somebody off the dribble, let alone a guard, let alone a center. Uh, so now with... The Rock is not playing a traditional center. They have players on their team who could provide some type of discomfort as far as defending Chris Paul because he's not going to have a lumbering 7-footer or 6'11 guy who's awkward on the, on the perimeter guarding him. So the lobs are not going to be there. The penetration is not going to be there as much with a Robert Covington switching off on him as a P.J. Tucker is switching off on him. So those are the things that you're going to have to look for. Eastern Conference here, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The Milwaukee Bucks, heavy favorite to win the East. I mentioned before, who do I think has a better chance of beating the Milwaukee Bucks? Is it going to be the Miami Heat? Is it going to be the Toronto Raptors? I'm watching Toronto play right now, kind of off and on as I'm doing this, um, recording this podcast. They look fantastic. They look absolutely fantastic. I mean, that's the epitome of what a basketball team should look like. In terms of how they run their organization, they are similar to the Jerry Sloan-ran Utah Jazz of the 1990s. They are similar to the San Antonio Spurs of the great Popovich, R.C. Buford, in terms of their ability to have their role players step up, their professionalism, their effort, their understanding of roles and performing in their roles, the type of basketball players that they have in terms of character is concerned. Yasai Mejiri, the general manager, president of the basketball operations for the Toronto Raptors, I think has you know, solidified himself, if not the best GM, president of basketball operations in the NBA. Very, At the very least, he's number three for what he's done to sustain the success that Toronto has had when Kawhi Leonard left to go to the L.A. Clippers. Pascal Siakam has taken another step 
and becoming that guy that you can rely on at the championship team to win championships. Kyle Lowry has played really well from the point guard position. They are a deep team. Marcus Saul has been awesome, especially on the defensive end from the center position once the uh, season resumed in Orlando. So for the most part, the Toronto Raptors are a team They have a a coach in Nick Nurse who has championship material and has turned out to be one of the better coaches in the NBA even after one year or two years, excuse me. So the Toronto Raptors have the discipline. They have the organization. They have the talent. They have the skills. They have the depth. They have a position like Pascal Siakam who has the length and the athleticism to bother Giannis just a little bit to where he can kind of not have as many dunks and flips and euro steps to the rim and layups and that type of thing. You know, he's not going to stop Giannis, of course, but Siakam, OG Adenobi has the ability to make it a little bit more difficult for him to dominate like he's done with some other teams this season. So in that regard, Toronto has an awesome chance of beating the Milwaukee Bucks if Milwaukee is not at their very best. But even more than Toronto, I'm going to go with a team like the Miami Heat. I really am. The reason why I'm going to say the Miami Heat is because the way that Milwaukee plays defense, Brian Windhorst on his podcast was talking about this. The defensive philosophy that uh, Mike Butenholder, the coach of the Milwaukee Bucks, has is that they're going to give you the three-point shot. They're not going to let you get to the rim. And when you have the Lopez brothers and you have Giannis back there at the rim, well, of course, you're going to be unsuccessful if you're just going to try to go straight to the rim and get to and, and become victorious that way. So basically what the Bucks are saying is, yeah, go ahead, shoot all the threes you want to. Because our analytics say that, you know what? Over a seven-game series, you're not going to be able to consistently hit those enough for us to beat you. Especially the way that the Bucks play offense. Especially with them having the best player, or at least the very least, the second best player in the NBA. And if you take a look at the success of the Milwaukee Bucks, that is true. But my point is that they're facing a team in the Miami Heat. When you have someone like a Duncan Robinson, when you have someone like a Tyler Hero, the uh, rookie from uh, uh, born in Wisconsin, played in Kentucky, playing well. You have Kendrick uh, Dunn. And you also have someone like a Bam Adebayo now who has been the center for sure once the Heat came back to the bubble. He's going to present some problems for Giannis. So what I'm saying is Jimmy Butler is a guy who can go out and get buckets and can be able to score. And he can also help guard Giannis on occasion. I think the Miami Heat, the way they play, the way that they're shooting the ball, also presents a real challenge to the Milwaukee Bucks. This is not a situation where the number one seeds a few years ago were, you know, at the beginning of the season, you you had the situation where Golden State, the Cleveland Cavaliers were going to meet in the NBA Finals and the rest of the regular season, the playoffs were just filler time. No, I think it's a real opportunity here, especially now going into the playoffs and playing in this different environment, a different environment for everybody involved. It'll be interesting to see the Milwaukee Bucks and the Los Angeles Lakers adapt. Now, I think Milwaukee is going to have some time to get things together. I don't think Orlando is going to give them any type of a series at all. But, you know, Indiana, Miami, that's going to be a good series. But I don't think Indiana has enough guard play. Don't They can't score enough to really 
threaten the Miami Heat. So I, I think Miami is going to come in more ready for the challenge of trying to get with the Milwaukee Bucks and try to beat them more than, say, for instance, the Milwaukee Bucks, who, you know, for a couple of games might be still be in Orlando Magic playoff mode, if you understand what I mean. So those are the things that I'm looking at, man. But, you know, I already saw the Denver-Utah series is going to be great. I'll talk about that a little bit later on my podcast. The Boston Celtics and the Philadelphia 76ers are an interesting series. I'll talk about that a little bit later on my podcast. You have... Oh, the Indiana Pacers in the Miami Heat. T.J. Warren versus Jimmy Butler. That uh, grudge match, that's going to be something to take a look at. So the NBA playoffs, I mean, yeah, you're going to have your blowouts like your Orlando's versus Milwaukee's, the Brooklyn's versus your Toronto's, even though don't until the final whistle, until the buzzer you know, sounds, the Brooklyn Nets are going to give you everything that they've got. So Toronto, that's a good opponent for Toronto, knowing that yeah, we need to be we need to be playing, you know, at a maximum level because Brooklyn is not going to be giving us any games. And while right now they're losing by fourteen, I think Game Two is going to be much more competitive. But then again, it may not. I don't know. We'll see. So yeah, the NBA playoffs are fantastic. The NBA playoffs, I'm looking forward to. You got four day, four games a day. I don't know when I'm going to be able to make some money. I don't know when I'm going to be able to pull myself away from the TV to watch, to uh, not watch and go out and make some money. But believe me, the NBA playoffs, I am locked in and ready. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Quickly, let me get out of here with this. Congratulations to Stipe Miocic, a victor over Daniel Cormier. I'm going to keep this short. I'll speak about this a little bit later, maybe on my next podcast. But uh, basically, man, Miocic came in in shape, looked fantastic, controlled the action. Could have gone either way. I gave Cormier rounds one, four, and five. But I also saw that how close close they were that I wasn't going to get angry. I don't think it was four. I don't think it was four rounds to one. But um, I think in a situation that I saw the fight that, um, you know, Cormier has nothing to be ashamed of. Um, Stipe, greatest heavyweight of all time. I would like to see him fight John Jones, who just announced that he's relinquishing his light heavyweight title. Looking for the money, he's looking for the big bucks, he's looking for the big challenge. Him versus Miocic, that would be something else. And Stipe, after the fight, was talking about how he wants to continue to uh, fight on a more regular basis. He's been out for a while because of a uh, torn retina, in his, uh, so he was taking care of that, which is the reason why the fight with Cormier didn't happen sooner. But, um, sorry, Francis Ngannou, he's a monster, he's a beast, but we've seen Miocic Ngannou. And I don't even know if Nganu has improved because he keeps knocking guys out within 15, 20 seconds of these fights. So I don't know how much of an improvement that Nganu has made. We know that he can punch. We know that he can knock your head off. as Alistair Overeem. But we saw the fight between him and Miocic and it was kind of like once that, once that first round was over 
And basically, Ngannou emptied the tank. He was done. About round four and round five, you know, Miocic was smart enough to say, no, I'm not going to stand you up. No, I'm not going to give you any opportunity to knock me out. I'm going to put you on the ground. I'm going to hold you against the cage, and I'm just going to beat you up from there. You're tired. You can't, you know, deal with the pressure. How much of a better fighter is Ngannou since then? A lot of people are talking about Ngannou was at the time of feeling himself, and he thought that he was going to come in. It was almost his destiny to be the heavyweight champion at that time. And Miocic was like, no, nah, I don't think so. So how much better have has um, Ngannou gotten mentally and physically? We don't know because, again, he's been knocking out folks in the first 20, 25 seconds of a fight. So, you know, if the UFC is all about money in this direction that they're going right now, we'll see Jones fight uh, Miocic maybe sometime in the uh, late fall. So there you go. Cormier, great fighter go down, legacy is intact, you know, but I don't know, is he better as a light heavyweight or a heavyweight when everything is all said and done? Because this is take, this is nothing to take away from Cormier, who I think is one of the greatest fighters of all time in mixed martial arts, but, you know, he didn't beat the best light heavyweight of his era in John Jones, who lost to him twice, he got knocked out in one of them, and he lost in decisive manner in the, in the, uh, in the other one. And then he lost two or three to Miocic. Now, you could say that, you know, he did knock out Stipe in one round. He was beating Stipe in the second fight until he got caught with a couple of gut shots. And see you later. And while the third fight was competitive, and the third fight, I don't think, you know, people should be setting houses ablaze if they would have given Miocic a split decision victory, which I thought was more appropriate, or even Cormier the victory. You know, he did lose to uh, Miocic, the best heavyweight at that time. So you lose to the best light heavyweight of all time. You lose to the best heavyweight of all time. You lose twice to probably the greatest, most talented fighter of all time is going to go down. I mean, possibly, I mean, John Jones had the opportunity to say that he's the best fighter of all time if he can beat Miocic, right? If when everything is all said and done, despite his missteps, despite some of his bad decisions, if he can pull off this fight with Miocic, the super fight and beat him, how can you not say that John Jones isn't the greatest fighter of all time? He was on that way to begin with until, as I mentioned before, he put roadblocks up for himself. But we'll see. We'll see. All right, man. I'm out of here. I'm done. I'm finished. The game between Milwaukee, the game between Toronto and Brooklyn is almost over. So I'm going to sit back, relax, get me some food, and watch Philadelphia play Boston. And then uh, Dallas play the Lakers. So my... My Monday is set. I want to thank you very much for listening to the program. Remember, be good to yourselves. Move this society along. Find somebody who doesn't look like you. Find somebody with a different mentality than you. Find somebody who has different views in terms of where we need to go in this world and straighten them out. Straighten them out the best way you can. And make sure that you do everything you can, that they uh, listen, that they learn, and that you give it the effort to educate them. You know, some folks are hard-headed. Some folks aren't going to talk to you. Some folks don't want to deal with it. Some folks are uncomfortable in talking about these matters. Well, you know, fuck it. Let's do it anyway. I wanted to speak about, you know, the black folks hating on Kamala Harris, the uh, vice president nominee for the Democratic Party by Joe Biden. Black folks are something else, man. I mean, sometimes we can really be our own worst enemies. Really can. I'm letting you know right now, black folks, because of Kamala Harris, if you, if you guys don't vote in November... And you let the motherfucker that we have right now, if we get him reelected, everything that happens to us, which will be no good, we deserve. I don't want to hear black people at all. 
when this motherfucker tears us apart, when this motherfucker, if he gets reelected, does nothing for us, I don't want to hear any of you motherfuckers, P. Diddy, none of you motherfuckers out there, don't say shit in terms of, oh, you know, society is doing us wrong and we're so, I don't want to hear any of that bullshit. I don't want to hear any of it. Don't, don't play me the sympathy card. Don't play me the downtrodden card. Don't play me the, you know, don't play me any of that bullshit. Because we have dug our own grave. If you think that Kamala Harris is the reason why you ain't going to vote, or you're going to vote for somebody else, y'all are stupider than dirt. And everything that, white, that we perceive white folks say about us, or think about us, are proven correct. If you guys are dumb enough to think that you know Kamala Harris is the worst choice than who we have right now. So that's my ending for that. So while I'm kicking it, chilling, relaxing, I'll end this by saying music.